Experience the difference at Woodhouse Buick GMC. From the GMC Acadia to the Buick Encore, we're sure to have a vehicle that fits your lifestyle. Our climate-controlled showroom guarantees a comfortable shopping experience every time you visit. Plus, our commitment to our customers continues well beyond the date of purchase. You will leave our lot feeling comfortable and confident in your new vehicle. Start your car buying journey today, in-store or online at WoodhouseBuickGMC.com. We are professional grade. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. This is how it's always been. I'm on the outside looking in. Welcome to Double Love, the podcast in which we explore the strange and terrifying world of Sweet Valley High, book by book. I'm Anna Carey. I'm Karen Moynihan. And this Christmas! <laughs> the jingle bells are back! I love them so much. This was so good. <laughs> I'm putting Yay. them down now, because otherwise they're going to drive us insane. So, If anything, it'll just be too festive in here. <laughs> Exactly. Well, we don't have any onion dip, listeners, but we do have the last Sweet Valley Saga. <gasps> oh, my God. Finally, we've managed to each get our hands on a copy. And actually, massive thanks to Sarah for sending this one to me all the way from Canada. This was amazing. And massive thanks to Joanna Smith for sending uh, the copy to me, um, though she was sending it from Dublin via Galway because <laughs> it was in her parents' house. So uh, thank you, Joanna. <laughs> Yeah, the, I'm so excited actually that we're getting to do this one because it's been our kind of outstanding saga for, for quite some time mm. now. We've done the first three. We were just waiting for the moment to to get our hands on this one. And now it's here. We can do it. Hooray! Um, yeah, and I didn't even know it existed for years because I thought there was just like one Wakefield saga, one hmm. Fowler saga and one Patman saga. I did not realise there was the Wakefield legacy, the untold story. Well, it's about to get fucking told, lads. This is so exciting. <laughs> yeah. Because all the Wakefield lads. Oh, it is. And... <laughs> We will get started with taglines and blurbs. Now, there isn't a regular tagline situation, but uh, the uh, the sort of mini line is, the story continues. Ooh. <laughs> I, mean, I guess it does, but it mostly just goes parallel rather than continuing. Oh, yeah. More like the story, can you know, is alongside the previous story you read. Yes. <laughs> More so than continues. But Let's it's, just okay. say it now. There's a lot of revisionist history going on about the Wakefield oh, ancestors. Oh my God, so much. Oh Jesus, <laughs> yeah, we will get into it. <laughs> oh, we will. Well, can you give us the full blurb? Okay, let's do this. Uh, okay, yeah, it's more of an intro at the very start so we could follow the compelling stories of the <gasps> women and men who came before Jessica and Elizabeth Wakefield. <gasps> oh my God, okay, are you ready? <laughs> <laughs> Begin. <laughs> Frontiersman Theodore Wakefield <laughs> thought he'd lost his heart forever. Will dancing wind make him love again? Well, usually the answer is yes. My God. Okay. Yeah, it's kind of a series of like little bits of, of <gasps> each uh, <laughs> each time jump. Uh, turn of the century beauty Sarah Wakefield marries against her father's wishes, <gasps> only to become the mother of a fatherless child. Do, do, do. 
an absolute scandal, lads. Oh, my God. <laughs> Betrayed by his true love, Ted Wakefield must forget his past to find happiness with brilliant journalist Julia Marks. <laughs> hmm. I mean, yeah, she's pretty cool, actually. She actually is the coolest person in this whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> During World War II, Robert Wakefield receives vital radio messages from POW Hannah Weiss and vows to find her when the war ends. <gasps> We have a lot of thoughts about this. <laughs> I do. It's very, I mean, there's also a lot of unrealistic depictions of Japanese prisoner war camps. Oh, which... yeah. <laughs> and finally, Ned Wakefield struggles against injustice in the idealistic 60s and <gasps> fights for the heart of beautiful Alice Robertson. Discover new lives and loves in the further unfolding of the biggest, best Sweet Valley story ever. I mean, it's definitely not the best. No, Lila Fowler <laughs> ran away with it. <laughs> In fact, this is definitely the weakest of the sagas. Yeah, that's probably fair. I mean, it's still great crack, like, don't oh, get us wrong. Is. But is. I mean, compared to the Rootin' Tootin' Cowboys of the Patman oh, fucking story. The URTCs <laughs> and the abolitionists. Oh my God, like, yeah, there's there's a lot to be said for the other ones. But yeah, unfortunately, this one doesn't quite stand up to them. But, you know, in its own right, tremendous fun. Oh, very much so. And it has a few uh, amazing moments, including one that we were literally texting about to each other. <laughs> in, frankly, hysterical state. Yes. <laughs> um, so, Karen, can you describe the cover? Because I just have a boring old... Uh, I have the British edition and mm. it's very boring and plain. It's just got a silk background and it's got little tiny portraits of the twins. Those losers. We've seen their faces plenty of times before. We're I mean, here for them. They're wasting valuable real estate where they could have photos or photos, portraits of some of the characters in the book. So anyway, they take up two and mm-hmm. then there's space for two more. And I guess one is uh, turn of the century beauty, Sarah Wakefield. And I presume the other is Frontiersman Theodore Wakefield and his extremely uh, 90s haircut. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, <But> look. <laughs> do you get a, be- a better cover? I have the fucking amazing cover. Again, thank you, Sarah, because holy shit. Um, so, like, it does have the silky background, uh-huh. uh, but even with that alone, it's got, like, the this wooden rose, carved rose, that's uh, quite a big part of the other Wakefield saga yes. uh, which is to do with Alice Larson and, and her whole family so the kind of the Alice side of things mm-hmm. um it's got the portraits as well the same ones as you do but there's more detail in them which is great <gasps> so we're getting more of a head and shoulders kind of look mm-hmm. at everybody so yeah we've got uh Theodore up top who he's a handsome man um yes yes he's I mean, a like he sure like yeah Theodore Wakefield could get it um because <laughs> all, all the Wakefield men are basically clones of each other uh, so true. presumably this is pretty much what Ned looks like as well yeah I would say. Uh, and then Sarah, uh, who, again, beautiful, of course, she's a Wakefield. Of course. Um, darker hair than than the usual spun gold of the of the twins. So she's got dark blonde hair, which they do mention quite a bit. Um, and she's got a lovely kind of high collared kind of pink and purple gown mm-hmm. on. I guess she's like early 1900s. So that's... Yeah, she's sort of a... Tw- that well, checks out. Yeah. That all checks out there. And then Jessica and Liz, it's the double love, like the first book cover versions of them. Um, yes. But it's weird because this cover art was not a James Matthews original. So it's a guy called Bruce Patterson, I think his name was. Whoosh! 
Yeah, it's a different artist. So it's actually somebody else's take on the James Matthews twins, which is kind of weird. So it's why oh. they look slightly off, I they think. They do. They look a Don't bit they? like own brand. Yeah, and Jessica in particular looks like she's had a bit too much filler or something. It's that kind of yes. It's that kind of the queens coming back for all stars, and they just look a bit different. <laughs> I'm not exactly sure what it is or what they've done to their faces, but it's that it's that slightly with Jessica at the minute. <sighs> but uh, but then stunningly, this edition has the fold out. <laughs> oh, I I'm, I've just oh. seen a photo of it, and I'm still reeling. Really, yeah. I tell you. You should have seen Anna's sound waves when she when I texted her the, the picture. It, it was just screaming for like yeah, a full minute uh, because it is action all the way down. Oh my god, uh, there's so much going on in this cover. So it's like yeah, the kind of fully outy inside cover. Fucking hell, we've got like uh, a trapeze act in the circus. Um, like all of it makes sense uh, yes, once yes. you get into the story. So we've got a trapeze act in the circus. There's there's two people up flying high uh there's a man in a frock coat looking very distressed down on the ground looking up <gasps> at this uh we've got a, a guy a sailor in the navy in his in his like world war ii outfit with his little white hat on he's uh talking very panicked looking into a like a radio mm. there's a big explosion going on behind him and a flag it's very dramatic um we've got kind of college age ned and alice with their arms around each other at a protest even though in the book it's he's not with Alice at this protest he is is not what's going on so I don't know it's just like a general oh they were you know students at protests all the time in the 60s kind of thing more so than directly what actually happens in the book Mm. he's also wearing a white t-shirt which very much goes against his hippie vibe this is true there's quite some spectacular outfits oh my god like there's very detailed descriptions of what these kids were dressed like and it's not this because presuming that's Alice which it must be she's got the blonde hair she's wearing like a long sleeve green shirt Uh, and yeah he's in a white t-shirt and jeans and none of that really adds up to what they were dressed like in the books this is a more 90s kind of look at these kids I think very bland as well Mm. now there is one more scene on this cover that we're not going to spoil (gasps) because it was delightful oh when, it, when it took both of us by surprise in the books so we'll, we'll come back to that at some point but for now for now that's all you're getting from the cover art I do appreciate <laughs> that in the the sort of in the protest that's going on behind them we do get some uh, police brutality mm. so at least they're showing that the police in Sweet Valley are violent as well as very incompetent so you're both useless and violent what a combo <laughs> yes which is quite a subversive thing to show I think in a Sweet Valley book that's probably fair, actually, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll give them credit where credit mm. is due. <sighs> well, listeners, I guess we just have to dive right in <laughs> to the Wakefield legacy. Oh and we begin in actual Wakefield in Yorkshire. Now, I like I did, I have wondered in the past, it's like, is, you know, is, is there meant to be some sort of connection? And uh, not only is that where the, the Wakefields come from, but they're lords of the manor. <laughs> there you go. I have, must admit, did not realise that Wakefield was in fact a city in England. So I like straight away Googled it. I was like, oh, all right, fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know. I think city might be being a bit generous. I think it's like a mill town. Maybe, well, maybe when, right. when this is set, but right now it is a city apparently. Really? Yeah. Good Lord. Well, it's a very, very small city if it is. I think they might wow. be pushing above, pushing above their way. Wow. Cut to angry emails from listeners in Wakefield. <laughs> Um, well, uh, yeah, Theodore Wakefield is the second son of the Earl of Wakefield. Wow, no he's less. fancy. <laughs> and uh, 
Yeah, he's riding his trusty steed, Raven. <laughs> oh, God. Yes, he's a very accomplished horseman, uh, oh. him and his his brother. It's oh. not exactly clear what age Theodore is at this stage, uh, but yeah. his, his older brother, James, is 26 and uh, has a fiancé. <gasps> yes, an aristocratic German fiancé called Katharina von Alber. Mm. And it's an arranged marriage and James isn't happy about it. And... Uh, uh, he's basically James is, as the heir is basically expected to follow in their father's footsteps and like go into the House of Lords and um, uh, you know become a, a politician and mm. Theodore is glad that he is basically the spare not the heir <laughs> he gets to do whatever the hell he wants yeah so he's going to go to Cambridge um, and uh the uh, Katarina is basically as unhappy as uh, as James about this arranged marriage because neither of them are uh, are into it at all. Yeah, not even a little bit. But like where Katarina's kind of trying to make an effort and at least chat to James, like he's extremely cold with her and just barely even talks to her. And it's pretty lousy, to be fair. Yeah. Um, whereas Theodore is actually making, you know, he, he is kind of trying to make conversation with her and, you know, make sure she's not completely miserable, uh, which ends up with her kind of taking something of a shine to uh, to Theodore rather than yes. James. Um, well, she shivers as she looks across the moors because she's just been reading a book by a local author called Wuthering Heights. There you go, yes. <laughs> Um, and uh, Theo very obnoxiously tells her like oh you shouldn't read romantic <laughs> novels and says, oh you should read this frankly boring sounding book about the fucking California trails oh god yeah it's like no you're reading the wrong things <laughs> read this instead but uh, but she's interested in, in what he oh. starts banging on about anyway because he looks so excited about uh, thoughts of, of the Oregon Trail and pioneering <laughs> carry on in the American West so <laughs> she's impressed and says that she would she would enjoy reading that probably uh, uh, because you know she fancies him so she's yes. just humouring him really <laughs> that's literally what my notes say because she fancies him she says this sounds good yeah exactly that's the only reason why <laughs> so he tells her she'll get used to England but she starts Starts crying and says that she won't. She jumps off the horse and runs off to gather some heather to hide her tears. No. Can this be the first? Runs away crying. <gasps> <laughs> the earliest recorded running away crying. <laughs> uh, well, Theo rides up to James and uh, dismounts and tells him, basically tells him, stop being such a dick to poor Katarina. None mm. of this is her fault. He's clearly miserable and yeah. you're not helping. And basically says that James doesn't have the balls to stand up to their dad and is just going along with his plans. Yeah, he's he's kind of talking a big game. He's like, oh, you know, if it was me, I wouldn't just go along with this. I'd stand up to dad. Um, but James really isn't having any of it. He's just like, look, you don't know what you're talking about. Um, so they're both just really angry. And uh, James gets really worked up then and uh, is just like, yeah, he's just he's not having this this shit talk from, from his little <laughs> brother who doesn't know what's going on. <laughs> Yes, and he's so angry, he jumps on Raven's back and gallops off angrily towards a wall. <laughs> yeah, and apparently like Raven is like a, a very untrained stallion, which like oh. straight away is like, what is anybody doing riding this horse for fuck's sake? What now? Oh, it's ridiculous. But yeah, James uh, decides he's going to try and get Raven to jump over this wall. But unfortunately, James is a dumb bitch, as my notes say. So... <laughs> The horse refuses, swerves away, uh, which throws James from the horse into the stones and it does not go well for him. <laughs> it absolutely does not um, because he is thrown against the wall and is instantly killed. Yeah, that's, it. that's all it takes. <laughs> yeah. So we cut to the funeral and Theo is numb with grief. 
and uh, the Earl, his father, <laughs> like none of these pricks can be descended from just random peasants like the rest <laughs> of us. There always has to be a fucking aristocrat and who ran to America to seek their fortune. Like, come on, sweet valley writers. Like, have one of them, a, you know, a, a brave little peasant. No, no penury for any of these ancestors. It's uh, gilded mansions at some point anyway in their indeed. lives. They might go through some tough times, but it'll all come back around again. Oh, of course. They're going to be in a split-level ranch house in no time at all. <laughs> it's their destiny. <laughs> <laughs> well, the Earl tells Theo that uh, now he's the heir, he must assume James's path. Uh, and that includes marrying Katerina. And Theo refuses and storms off. But poor Katerina has heard all. Oh God, yeah, even as he was kind of shouting all this at his dad, like literally in the graveyard at mm. the funeral, it's all very fresh. Um, yeah, he was kind of saying all this and I was just like, they just said Katerina's like over there by a tree. Surely she can hear all this. This is so mean. Uh, and of course she did hear all this. Yes. So that night she finds Theo wandering the the passageways of Wakefield Towers or whatever it's called. <laughs> <laughs> he's gazing at all the family portraits and she says basically says she overheard everything but she's going to return to Prussia so Ned says he has to do with his, what his father wants it's his duty and his destiny but Katerina tells him that destiny is uh, something that you make not something that is given to you you can choose Theodore you must choose Ooh. <gasps> so Theodore dramatically roams around the house and grounds for hours like, <laughs> how, how big are these grounds it's a big manner they have a whole of portraits you know <laughs> oh that's true they do <laughs> well he finally tells his parents uh, about his deci- decision he is going to follow his own path mm. and uh, the girl says well in that case I disown you and he's like well fine Oh God, yeah. Or uh, yeah, the dad is called George. It's funny actually, I think in the family tree at the start, the dad is also Theodore, but then in the actual book, he's oh, George. So You're I right, he's Theodore. The 16th <laughs> Earl of Grey. Have they, like how long have they been fucking aristocrats? It's the Normans. Like <laughs> 16. Maybe they'll just I really young I don't know <laughs> I can tell you my great aunts worked out like did a family tree back in the 80s and I worked out how many greats were between me and uh, the great great whatever grandparents who got married yeah. during the penal laws actually it was quite uh, Sweet Valley-esque it was forbidden Ooh. love because one of them was a Catholic and one was a Protestant and it was illegal so Imagine. they got married secretly God. but uh, basically that was nearly 200 years and that yeah, was only that's that like 17-something, isn't it? Yeah, it was 1790s, yeah. I think. Yeah. And that was only six great-grandparents. Oh, wow. That was like great-great-great-great-great-great. <laughs> so they're 16 <laughs> generations like, back to like the Roman era. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, the 16th Earl of Wakefield there says that uh, uh, Theo was, will be no longer his son and Theo returns the Wakefield ring oh my god yeah it's got the Wakefield crest on it um, and his mother of course is horrified by all this uh, Lady Sarah she's like George no um, at the dad <laughs> but uh, unfortunately yeah what's done is done so he is excommunicated from the mm. Wakefield earldom I guess <laughs> disinherited and everything that's the um, one <laughs> Communication in a way, the Church of Wakefield. Indeed, yes. But as uh, he stomps away, saying his freedom is more important than money and status, uh, his mother slips the ring into his pocket. 
He heads to the stables and mounts Raven, who clearly has a sense of the dramatic because he rears up on his hind legs. <laughs> Raven gets it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Theodore finds the ring in his pocket and realises that's all he will have of, of home. But um, he sees Katerina in the window and she made, raises a hand in farewell. He does the same. And gallops away crying. No, he's uh, not crying. <laughs> We'll never know. <laughs> well, we cut to the boat. Have we been here before? Yeah, this is, yeah, it's the same boat, obviously, that Alice mm. Larson, uh, Swedish hottie, is on because we went through all this in her book. Um, so, yeah, they're, everyone's on the steamer to America, off to the new world. Uh, there is a nice little mention, though, of um, the variety of accents and languages you can hear around him. There's English, Irish, and I was like, yay! <laughs> Representation! <laughs> Here we are now, all the lads. <laughs> <laughs> so we're down in storage. We've seen Titanic. We know what Irish people are like in a boat. <laughs> Dancing our jigs and drinking our beer. <laughs> <laughs> we never stop, listeners. We never, never. stop. We're drunk right now. Yeah. <laughs> I fucking wish. <laughs> we should be. We didn't think this through at all. <laughs> oh, well, someday we're going to do the drinking game and oh, it will gosh. be uh, we will die. something to hear. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> or it'll just be too much of a mess to actually put out anywhere because we'll just have to delete it. Uh, that, that is true. We'd be drunk after the first 10 minutes based on all the cliches we'd be hitting. Well, uh, uh, speaking of uh, of feeling a bit wasted, after a while on the ship, everybody is seasick. Um, which, oh God, it always sounds so horrendous. But eventually Leo, or Theo, <laughs> Theo needs air. And when he's on deck... Who should she, he see standing by the railings? Why, it's the Swedish girl he noticed as he was boarding uh, with her long blonde hair and her blue eyes. Um, but she's on her own up on deck. And he's like, oh, no, she shouldn't be up here alone. I'll, I'll offer her my arm. Uh, but then again, as we, we read about in the first book, uh, oh. a small boy who's there with his mother um, falls overboard and oh. into the waves. And mystery blonde woman <laughs> jumps in after him to save him. She does. And Theo is dazzled by her bravery, but realises she's in uh, danger, so he has to help. Of course, he saves them both, as we recall from the last book, and instantly falls for Alice. For which is she? Yes, it's Alice Larson. It is very funny, though, because when they're all hauled up out of the water, uh, there's a bit where Theodore is looking at Alice, like, wondering if he should try to press the water from her chest and breathe fresh air into her lungs. <laughs> My notes just say, ah, yes, Theodore wonders if he should invent CPR. <laughs> 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 Which was not a thing until the 50s, but okay. <laughs> He's a Wakefield, Kyron. He's just instinctively brilliant he just ahead knows. of his time. He was ahead of the game. We should have known. <laughs> <laughs> well, we relive their courtship from the last book, including the wooden rose he carved for her, inspired mm-hmm. by the Wakefield crest. And uh, they uh, they obviously, um, they, they, they fall in love. Yes. And... Um, he does some uh, some dramatic whispering, which uh, we always like to see. One time she, he, she says, good night, Mr. Wakefield. Good night, Miss Larson. His hat in his hand, Theodore watched her disappear into the dimly lit bunk room. When she was gone, he whispered the sweet name again. <laughs> good night, Miss Larson. Alice. <laughs> Wouldn't you love if she came back out? And she was like, sorry, did you say something? He's like, no, no, nothing. Never mind. Hello. See you. Bye bye. <laughs> I know it's so creepy. So creepy. That's like Gollum. (laughs) Well, then we cut to the old quarantine hotel. How very timely. 
Oh God, yeah, it was all a bit too fucking real to be honest oh, this time around. Reading it. about it. <laughs> Yeah, so well, when they arrive, uh, they arrive in New York, and poor Theodore is uh, suspected of being of carrying typhus, I guess, oh. and uh, is tossed into quarantine. Where, yes. Whereas um, Alice, who obviously he was supposed to meet on the dock, is left to wonder what had become of him. <gasps> and of course, eventually he's released, but there's no sign of Alice, and she didn't leave a message. And uh, without her, apparently, the new world is meaningless. Oh, but uh, he knows she's out there somewhere, and he decides to head west. Because um, he has enough money to take him to Cleveland. And he vows <laughs> when he gets his ticket, he says this out loud. Somehow I will find her, he vowed, oblivious to the ticket seller's <laughs> curious stare. If I die searching, someday I will find her. Ticket seller's like, oh man, I'm not paid enough for this. This fucking guy. Well, we see where Jessica gets it from. So, because even just in the last book, she was screeching alone all the way out to the mall in her car that time, remember? <laughs> So friends, you guys are. It's a Wakefield trait. That is true. Well, I guess, you know, they didn't lick it up off the stones. Indeed. We cut to 1884 and we meet the first attempt at revisionist history in the Wakefield saga. Uh, Yeah, we are in Pine Bluff, Illinois now. And we open the scene with a pretty half Indian girl named Dancing Wind. Their words, not ours. Oh, yeah. Very much their words. Yes, a dancing wind is feeding a baby foal. And uh, she he, she belongs to the magnificent Theo W, who we might remember was referred to in the uh, in the last saga, because mm. a circus came to town and Alice That's thought right. it might be Theo Wakefield, and uh, it was. <laughs> so, dancing wind is smitten by Theo, even though she is 16. Yeah. And I he, have questions. <laughs> he's well over 40. Is he? Yeah, this is the thing. Yes. I was like, even even being generous, we don't actually know what age he is at the start in England. But mm-hmm. like, if he was, say, 20 yes. at the start, then he's at least 38 now. Like, yeah, well, and, this and is it kind of, kind of, year, yeah, this is 18 years later. It's 18 later, years yeah. later. And it does feel like he was at least 20. Oh, at least. Maybe, like, maybe he was a bit younger, but like, if his brother was 26 and it seemed like they were pretty close. I can't imagine there was like, you know, more than like a 10 year age gap between them. Oh God, no, definitely not. So like even being really generous, he still is late thirties, like. Yeah, surely. At the very least. And she is way, way, way less than half his age. And also 16. Literally 16. Like he could be her dad. Yeah. (sighs) Well, she were told her backstory. Um, So her mother, Owlfeather, was from the Awaswan uh, people. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. I couldn't find a... Um, a reliable pronunciation guide mm. but um, uh, her father was a white man called John Webster and uh, Owlfeather died when Dancing Wind was too small to really remember her. so she grew up on the road with her dad who was I, I wish we could say he was a rootin' cowboy but uh, <laughs> he just sounds like a sort of a ne'er-do-well pretty much yeah he was kind of just chancing his arm and finding small nuggets here and there really seems to be the gist of it mm. So he was eventually shot and killed in a barroom brawl. And that's when the uh, the trapeze artist family, the Flying Montesatinis, took her in and basically adopted her. And now yes. the circus is her family. That's it, yes. So Theo says it's his family too, because he left his own family when he was very young. Yeah, long, long, <laughs> long before she was born. <laughs> yeah, how young exactly, Theo? Give us some details. We can put a fucking age on you, you big creep. <laughs> Uh, well, he says that um, 
uh, yeah, he he fell in love when he he basically gives a recap of his adventures after he left the, his old life mm. and how he fell in love with some woman he met in a boat and still thinks for. And Dancing Wind thinks life clearly lost all meaning for Theo when he lost Alice, and she because she realizes he's never loved anyone since. <gasps> so they head back to the circus, but she thinks she'd rather stay out with him. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, Dancing Wind is fully smitten with this old guy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, a month later, they arrive in Blackberry Hollow, Iowa, and uh, everyone's all excited about uh, in the town about the circus, and Dancing Wind is too, because as she prepares for a performance, she sees Theo watching her, and it gives her wings. Well, you know, it's the Sweet Valley way, even if they're not in Sweet Valley. It's like if the person that you're mad about is watching you do your thing, it's going to be a smash hit. But if they're not watching or they're not there, then you might as well fucking forget it. Oh, yeah. You are fucked if they're not like they're (laughs) willing you on with their good vibes. That's it. The only way to do anything in life. (laughs) So she she tells um, or she helps Theo with Baby Raven, the adorable foal. And he tells her that this isn't his first horse called Raven. And um, so he's... She thinks like, oh, same horse name, you know, same uh, going on about his old love. Does he live in the past? And she <laughs> sa- she says this out loud, like a big idiot. <laughs> Dancing wind, you dope. Yeah, she does say it out loud. And he's like, do you really think I live in the past? And she's kind of like, oh, <laughs> but he takes it well because, you know, she's not wrong, to be fair. So he does admit yeah. that that actually is the case and that he has been living in the past for many years now. Uh, but he's starting to realise that he may have been denying himself happiness. Hmm. Well, they face each other and tension mounts. But just mm. as he's about to kiss this technical child. <laughs> she's so young. Isabella calls her home and she has to she has to leave. Isabella is uh, one of the Mantasinis. Uh, oh, no. Uh, Montesatinis. Yes. And um, Dancing Wind is like, oh, I know he likes me. So I know, say, he's old enough to be your dad. Oh, God. Yeah, it's... Oh. <laughs> well, <good. laughs> a week later, Dancing Wind goes to bareback rider Laura the Lovely for advice. So we might remember from the uh, circus section of the last <laughs> book. And just as she's about to lo- ask, ask Laura, who should run in? Why, it's a small, blonde child who <laughs> introduces herself as Jessamine Johnson. Oh, God, help us all. It's Frontier Jessica. <laughs> it is. Well, she comments on Theo's uh, unusual accent, because obviously he's English, and revealed her mother has an accent too. Yeah, we all have accents, Jessamine. That's what yeah. having a voice means. <laughs> There's no neutral, non-accented tone. That's true. Uh, but yes, she says her mother has an accent because she's from Sweden. And uh, Theo is stunned. Yeah, he's like, Sweden? Is your mother, is your is your family coming to the show tonight? So he's straight away absolutely convinced that her mother must be Alice. <gasps> so Dancing Wind, this is kind of hilarious. She keeps saying like, yes, I'm sure she'll be happy to see her old friend. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm sure she's, uh, many years have passed. She's like, she's probably uh, basically an old lady now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at the very least, she's clearly married or with kids. So like, yeah. what's the plan here, Theo? <laughs> He's all like, don't give a fuck. Fate's brought us back together. This is yeah. brilliant. This is my woman. <laughs> but, so Dancing Wind runs away crying. No. As is tradition, or as will be tradition, I guess this is part of the, how it became so. You know, we're forging the tradition here with, with all <laughs> these poor women. <laughs> Later, 
dancing wind is all distracted. She basically thinks, I really want some old bag of a farmer's wife when I'm here all young and hot. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Yeah, so she's supposed to be focusing on her act because, you know, she is a trapeze artist. So you kind of hope that her head would be in the game. But um, yeah, she's just really upset and kind of she cries, I think, even as she's kind of getting up to to go do her thing. And it's like, oh, "Oh God, dancing wind, please focus. Yes. yeah, so she's like, how could he not love me? How could he prefer an old married farm woman he hadn't seen in years? <laughs> Cart. I know, but hilarious. It is. <laughs> and when she's up there, do she starts the routine, but she notices mm. that Theo uh, isn't looking at, at her as usual. He's scanning the crowd, clearly oh, looking God. for his old farm lady. Dancing wind, no. <laughs> the big Egypt, as my notes say, decides to do a fancy move to impress him. Oh, of course, God. it goes horribly wrong. Of course it does. Like someone's supposed to catch her and obviously they have their timings all worked out perfectly. So you can't just go changing something fucking mid air, oh, literally, as you're God. doing it. So of course it gets messed up and her oh. dad, Guillermo, doesn't manage to catch her in time. So she fucking hits the deck like <gasps> massively because it was, there is a net being yeah. held, but she goes through it oh. uh, and really, yeah, hits the ground and it's bad for poor Dancing Wind. Well, Theo is stunned and runs to her side. And as he cradles her in his arms, he remembers when he saved Alice on that boat. But then he realises that he doesn't want to think about Alice. That's Wind is the one he cares for now. There you go. Yeah, it's the, the thought that he might have lost her. He suddenly kind of puts things in perspective and he's like, no, oh my God, please don't let her die. Uh, so it kind of snaps him into uh, realising his true feelings for her. Mm. And as Dancing Wind is taken away, Theo catches a glimpse of Alice and the kids. But he turns away from them to uh, follow Dancing Wind. Yeah. We cut to a few days later on the circus train. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like that they have a train. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Well, Dancing Wind regains consciousness, but there's bad news from Theo. Oh, God. Yeah, she broke her hip. Um, so while she was unconscious, they, uh, they, the like Dr. Good from Prairie Lakes uh, oh. set her hip. And I was just like cringing at this because, oh my God, like frontier medicine disaster. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, this poor girl now has a broken hip, which has been set, but like it will never be the same again. And she can't perform anymore because, you know, it's it, apparently it's the kind of bone that will never fully mend. So unfortunately oh. for Dancing Wind, she now has a limp and needs to use a crutch. And oh. that's her, her circus performance days done. True. So uh, poor... Um... Dancing Wind is is devastated. She thinks she's lost her chance to to win Theo's heart. Mm. Um, But uh, she she asks if he found Alice and he says he didn't. He didn't need to look for her because love was right there. (laughs) You are the only woman I want, Dancing Wind. Oh. Uh, So in truth to Sweet Valley style, she thinks that uh, she will have to get well now because of Theo's love. Which well, I guess that's, that's it. We're really establishing all the tropes here. <laughs> really are. But once Dancing Wind gets a bit better, she, she just feels that the circus isn't the place for her anymore because there's, you know, there's basically she's not part of that world now because she can't perform and she doesn't want to be a burden to Theo. And she feels that she, he may have declared his love, but she, she feels she trapped him by, because she did that stunt to get his attention and then she had the accident and now he sort of feels he has to look after her. So she decides she's got to run away. Oh God, yeah. She um she packs up her stuff and hops off the train, like not really telling anybody about it. Oh. I was kind of like, it's a bit harsh on her uh, her family. Like, 
um, <laughs> that she's going to bail out without a word. But yeah, she's just like, no, she just can't can't bear the guilt. And as you say, yeah, it feels like she's trapped Theo. So she's like, look, I'm just going to cut everybody loose and they won't have to worry about me. So she says she's going to she's going to stay behind and find her way to California. But then Theo finds her and he's like, well, OK, the train is about to go. And she's like, oh, I'm not going. I'm going to uh, to find Owl Feathers um, people. Mm. And Theo jumps back on the train. She's like, OK, that was quick. But then he jumps <laughs> off again. He was just getting his bag. Oh, no. Yeah. So he's, uh, yeah, she's surprised that he's uh, he's bailing out too. But um, yeah, he says that he holds her hands and he says, the night of your accident, I vowed that I would never leave you. Don't you remember? Dancing wind. I want you to be my wife. Say you will marry me. <gasps> and she says, I cannot marry you. Her voice <laughs> quivering with emotion. I release you from your vow. <laughs> Oh, God. That's the quivering. <laughs> yeah. He says, you deserve a woman who is strong and whole. And he says, that no person I've ever known, man or woman, is as strong and whole as you. And uh, he says, say that you'll marry me. We're told in Theo's arms, she felt light as a feather. With Theo's help, she could still fly. Yes, a dancing wind. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Oh, <laughs> It's actually quite nice. It is. Like, I'm glad she's happy, but it's still a creepy age gap. Oh, God, yeah. He's like 40 at this stage. So old. Yeah. At least. Well, we coached up four years later and uh, turns out she and Theo have been farming successfully. They stayed in the town and they were doing pretty well. Um, the only thing missing is a child. Oh, God. <laughs> and uh, Theo is... Um, Theo clearly loves kids, but he's always reassured... Uh, dancing wind that you know he's happy with just her yeah. now she knows she is with child and before she tells him she writes in her journal because of course Liz has to get up from somewhere <laughs> well of course <laughs> um, so uh, yeah she tells Theo the news and he says uh, there's a message going through this which is uh, one that I find kind of deeply annoying so like now i will uh, this only now will i know true happiness oh, there's a lot of yes. like the whole purpose of your life is to have kids very much so I fucking hate that and even yeah. even the kind of the weird bloodline stuff in this as well is kind of uh, weird too where it's like no one's ever actually just you know an adopted child and that's fine you're obviously still their family it's like no they have to be blood relatives yes because <laughs> like, as soon as we find out that dancing wind is pregnant i was just like oh fuck man she is so dead like that girl <laughs> with her hip absolutely not no way is she making it through this because yep. um, you know at first I was like maybe they'll adopt a kid but no of course not <laughs> no well remember we thought that there was like in the Patman one where there was a swapped baby <laughs> that was pretty cool that was pretty cool as a story but it was disappointing in that they were basically again as you say like the bloodline obsession that none yes. of these people were going to be like adopted children um, and uh, yeah she does uh, she, 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 she gets she goes into labour on her own God. And um, she doesn't freak out because she knows her mother gave birth alone. And as my notes say, you have a broken hip, you fucking idiot. Like, this is get, <laughs> ask for help. Like, he literally just got out the door and she's like, can I call him back? Nah, I'll be fine. No, I'll be fine. I'll do it like my mom did. And as you say, yeah, your mom didn't have the complications of a massive fucking injury to be dealing with as well. So, yeah. Oh, God, dancing wind. Uh... So eventually Theo gets home and is like, what the fuck? And that's the doctor because things are not going well. And eventually she gives birth to twins. Yeah. So got to have twins on both sides of the family. Wow. (laughs) And uh, 
they, they, she's very weak, so she, you know, she needs to, to name the babies. And she, um, and Theo wants to give them Awaswan names, mm. but she says, rather terrifyingly, they are Wakefields. Fucking hell. Yeah, she's like, they're your heirs. Call them James and Sarah. So after his mother and his brother James. But like, wow, it just feels like a real missed opportunity for her not to pass on some lovely tribal names. But there you go. No, of course they've got to have fucking wasp names. Yeah, of course. Like they may be doing a lot of the revisionist, oh no, they're not so waspy after all in this book, which Mm. just is so tokenistic about it very annoying yeah um but uh because there's, there's more of it later but like don't worry they will all have like super waspy names at all times <laughs> very true like, oh dante went dies oh god yeah i mean that was always going to happen like uh, as soon as she was knocked up it was game over for poor dancing oh, wind oh yeah true uh so uh theo wills no and uh thinks he was powerless to stop her accident now he's powerless stop her death oh we cut to 1905 in Vista, California. It's gone a little bit further west. Mm, we're getting there. <laughs> and teenage Sarah uh, is laughing merrily at her old-fashioned father for his old English ways as he asks if she'll be back for tea. And uh, they banter about how sassy she is. Yeah, so she's kind of, it's funny actually because at first I was like, oh, she's she's the Jessica. Uh, oh. But she's a little bit of both really um, True, in yeah. this because again, you know, has some writerly ambitions or likes keeping a journal too. But but yeah, she is a bit of a devil kind of. And uh, yeah, they kind of taunt each other and she's like, oh, the sassier I get, the more you love me, she teased. Mm, that's a very Jessica statement. Very. <laughs> so uh, we're told she looks just a tiny bit like Dancing Wind, but mostly like her blonde grandmother from England. Of um, course. Um, <laughs> um, she gallops off on her horse plummy and we're told how wild and headstrong she is and like her responsible twin James oh there you go <laughs> yes. it's like there's only two kinds of twins ever <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, yeah apparently the family owned a small fruit farm uh, Theo moved to California when the babies were small and they're doing well and uh, Sarah knows all about you know how Theo like broke off from his family and came to the came to America and mm thinks all the exciting things in her, in his life happened before she was born. Yeah, she feels like her life is really boring in oh. comparison and that nothing interesting ever happens to her. Um, so she kind of sits down. Oh yeah, she's also been reading Wuthering Heights too, I think, hasn't yes. she? A lot, of, a lot of Wuthering Heights in there this. There is. Kind <laughs> of got that Yorkshire vibe. That's it. Yeah, it's a little through line. Um, but yeah, so she kind of, she writes in her journal and uh, it turns out that she, she feels like her life is so boring. She just kind of makes up stories uh, in her journal and uses oh. it for fiction because, uh, yeah, it's more interesting when you spice things up. Mm. She's Liz and Jess. It's true. Yeah. So uh, she, her latest tale is about a um, a girl who runs away from the wicked stepmother and she's trying to figure out what sort of a hunk of the, the hero will be. One of the things she thinks, would he be tall and dark like her own father? Jesus Christ, Sarah. Oh. Again, very Wakefield, but like horrifyingly so. <laughs> Well, uh, luckily she has something to distract her from this drain of thought because a cherry falls in her head and who could have knocked it there? Oh, well, this is it because the first cherry is followed by more and more and suddenly she's being showered in cherries uh, and it turns out that there is a guy in the tree and it's the laughing brown eyes of Edward Brooke, who is a guy that she knows from school. Uh, So, uh, yeah, he's doing some work for her dad and uh, uh, just to earn some, some pocket money. 
And she invites him to join her for lunch. And they have a plowman's, which I actually do like a plowman's lunch combo. <laughs> and cheese with a pickle. It's pretty good. I mean, I'm there for the cheese, not so much for the pickle, but no, that's fine. No, I'd be there for the pickle as well. And uh, she uh, she says that she, she it's, it's it's one of the culinary traditions that, that uh, Theo brought from his native land. And uh, she makes a, uh, a joke about her being sort of the lady of the manor because um, uh, his family own a, a livery stable, but mm. he thinks the future is motor cars. Oh, yes, indeed. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, he reckons there's no future in the livery business. Soon the horse and buggy will go the way of the covered wagon. Um, so she agrees, I think. And there is a family in town who have a <gasps> car, the the Le Maitres. Yeah. Um, yes, who have a, a prosperous vineyard nearby. So they're the, the fancy family in town. And she's been badgering her dad to buy a Ford or one of the Model E Watsons. Oh. But uh, he's not interested. Oh, Model E Watson. That's mm-hmm. not uh, throwing mm-hmm. up to another... <laughs> family in the book um, so yeah there's blah 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 we're in the modern world now this will be the century of motor car and women voters it's a whole new world see <laughs> um, Edward uh, has to return to work but he says we only work till sunset and she's like well I might just be right out on Plummy the horse then <laughs> and as she heads home she realises that uh, now just exactly how her romantic hero will look but it's just like Edward my goodness. <laughs> so a week later, uh, Sarah is ready to present e- um, Edward to her family as her suitor. And she invites him to tea. But Theo is not, is kind of standoffish. Yeah, he's very cold with him. Um, oh. Sarah's kind of trying to, to you know, it, the thing is like James knows Edward as well from school. So the three of them are all getting along fine. But it's just the oh. dad is being very kind of quiet, not really saying very much. Yes. And uh, again, yeah, a little bit stony towards Edward. Um, oh. And she keeps trying to kind of include him in conversation, but he's just not really getting into it at all. And then he just kind of leaves early. Um, and it's kind of awkward. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, later she's ba- he, she basically says, look, he's a nice boy, but I think you can do better. And, you know, maybe you'll go to college and you might meet somebody suitable there. But in the meantime, he wants her to dine with the Le Maitres. And uh, they have a son called George, who apparently is uh, very interested in Sarah. Yeah, uh, but Sarah has absolutely no time for him. Apparently him and his brothers are unbearably pompous. Uh, oh. And they think that they are royalty, apparently, just because their dad lets them drive around in his car. Uh, so she kind of just like lies through her teeth and says, yes, I'd be happy to dine with them. Um, but she kind of decides, look, I'm not going near this George guy any more than I have oh. to and wants to to keep keep going with Edward, even though her dad doesn't think he's an appropriate match. Yes. So she's like, no, I'm going to keep seeing Edward secret. Oh. <gasps> Well, uh, she um, uh, we cut to a to a few months later, and Edward and Sarah are frolicking on a bike, uh, and they're not at school because there's a flu epidemic. Oh God! Again, <laughs> stop being too real, book. <laughs> Don't want to read about pandemics and epidemics and plagues. <laughs> no, please stop. And quarantine hotels, especially in this case, because it's like oh, the respiratory illness that's going uh, around. It's like oh, fuck off! I don't want to hear it. <laughs> Well, on her way home after saying goodbye to Edward, she meets James and shows her the the ring Edward gave her for her 17th birthday. She's been wearing it in secret, but she's not feeling well and neither is James. He's already sneezing. So they they have to go home and get warm. But then just as they arrive home, what should happen? 
Oh no, there's a big uh, hailstorm, and of course their their family business is an orchard and fruit trees. So um, yeah, Theo has to to run out, and he's like, "We need to save the seeds or whatever has just been planted because the hail will absolutely fuck them up, and that'll be their um, their whole thing ruined." <gasps> well, uh, he runs out to to the storm swept fields, mm. and um, Sarah collapses in a fever. <gasps> oh no. A few days later, Shiva gains consciousness and she's starting to feel better. But um, turns out James has just got worse and worse. Yeah, because, of course, James was already feeling a bit ropey, but then had to go outside to, to help his dad with the oh. um, saving all the, the plants and stuff. Um, but yeah, so he is still in a pretty bad way in his room because she kind of presumed, you know, the fact that they're twins, that once she got better, he probably would too, because they'd be yeah. similar enough. And uh, yeah, that is unfortunately not the case for poor old James. No, it absolutely is not. He's just coughing and coughing and uh, his temperature hasn't gone down and Theo is uh, staying by his bedside. Mm. Um, but then one day, Sarah wakes up and she hears no coughing. So she thinks James is better. Is better. But of course he's dying. No. Oh, it's really sad. It um, is sad, actually. Yeah, when she sees him, like she just knows this is what's happening. Um, and it is, it's very poignant and sad. So he's like, she like she knows this is, this is what's going down. So does he. She's like, what can I do for you? Uh, and he looks into his sister's face uh, and says, tell me a story. So she just kind of tells him the story about their dad, basically. Mm. Apparently it's a favourite of theirs. So it's all quite sweet. But um, yeah, poor old James, that's, that's the end for him. It is. And when Theo realises his son is dead, he looks as if he's been carved in stone. <gasps> oh, poor old Theo. So after the funeral, a devastated Theo blames himself for letting James go out in the hail uh, when he was already, you know, sneezing and coughing. But Sarah reassures him. It's like, nobody could have foreseen this. Mm. But um, and Theo was all like, well, at least I have you. And Sarah's like, oh, well, what about Edward? <laughs> this is it. She kind of feels like it's going to come down to having to make a choice between these two men at some point. And she is not wrong. Because we cut to the following spring and Sarah is just beginning to sort of, you know, be able to be happy again after James's death. But then she comes home from school and what should be in uh, in Theo's possession? Oh, fuck, man. Yeah, she comes home to find her dad with her journal sitting in front of him. And she's like, oh, shit. And for like a second, she's like, maybe he hasn't read it. He just found it. And she's uh, like, oh, that's my journal. Uh, yeah, I must have just left it lying around. Here, I'll take it. Uh, but of course, Theodore is uh, none too impressed and is just like, tell me what you've recorded here is fiction. So <gasps> she's fuming that he's read it, but also she's fully fucking caught out now. Um, so it's all out in the open because of course she was recording everything about her and Edward and their secret trysts. Yes. And she says, look, I can forgive you for sneaking around if you just break up with Edward and gives a big speech about you are the last of the Wakefield line. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> and he sounds just like his own father as uh, Sarah points out to him and it hits home for a second. But Theo's like, no, don't care. Um, you've got to break up with Edward or you basically get out of my house. Yeah, um, and it's 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 really sad though because like when all this was happening like, and she said it and I was glad she did because like at the start I was like, why is he acting just like his dad and how much he, you know, because he hated that when he was younger. So why would he revert to that? Like it made no sense to me. But, um, but yeah, I was glad that she pointed it out but it obviously just wasn't enough for him to fucking cop on. So no. unfortunately, yeah, he's just like, nope, absolutely not having this. You, uh, you will cease all communication with Edward Brooke or you will cease living under this roof. And Sarah thinks in his old age, he'd become as stubborn and heartless as his own father, the Earl of Wakefield. Oh my God. <laughs> so uh, yeah, basically she chooses Edward, sneaks away by night 
and she sees her dad in the window as she's leaving and he's and she's like oh look he sees me going he's not gonna let me go he's gonna come out and say this is ridiculous but he just turns away Oh, fucking hell, Theo. Like, and he's literally lost his son. You think that he'd do whatever he could to hold on to his only child, you know, and for her to be happy, you think would be his number one priority. But there you go. Well, she wakes Edward up with so the old pebbles at the window routine <laughs> and says what's happened. And he's like, well, you know, if this, we might as well go for it. Will you do me the honour of becoming my wife? <laughs> and uh he says very quickly, he's like, right, okay, uh, brilliant. He just goes, hurrah. He then <laughs> says, okay, there's a train in like 20 minutes. So if we get on that, we can be in San Francisco this morning and then we can uh, get the justice of the peace, Marius. This a very day. Well, yeah, he is not wasting any time. It's kind of great because <laughs> I think he works at the train station. So he, he does, knows yeah. all the timetables. Uh, he's got the lowdown on this. So, yeah, so they, they bail off to the train station and manage to flag down a train that doesn't normally stop. <laughs> at it. it sounds very dramatic, to be honest. Uh, but they, they pull it off and, yeah, they are on the train to San Francisco. And they say they'll always remember this date, April 18th, <laughs> 1906. Whenever they mention a really specific date, you know something big historical happened. <laughs> I, I totally forgot about all this. So I was just like, oh, why are they being so specific about that know, date? I'm such a dumb bitch. <laughs> San Francisco in 1906, you say? What could possibly go wrong? Actually, we read about it in the last week. <laughs> it was just long enough ago that yeah. I was just like, I'd forgotten that detail, okay? I, so would I. <laughs> yeah. Well, they find a hotel. And they check in as man and wife. Oh, my God. Well, they figure it's only a matter of hours until they'll be able to find a justice of the peace to marry them. So mm. surely they can share a room and it'll be OK. And so they um, it is pretty cute because he like carries her over the threshold yeah. and all. Um, and they're having a great time. <laughs> and also it is kind of adorable that they're absolutely not planning on doing anything until they're married. So it's it, quite isn't it like it is very sweet yeah (laughs) so they're all excited like oh what time is you know will the justice of the peace be open basically so we can go (laughs) down but then oh no what should happen a fucking massive earthquake of course <laughs> so yeah there's vibrations that she can feel through the soles of her boots <gasps> and the floor is shaking uh, so she gasps Edward's like oh it's only a tremor it's, it'll be fine don't worry because I suppose they would have had minor quakes uh, where they both grew up uh, and she's like okay yeah it'll pass but of course it didn't pass so instead it all gets worse and worse and she realises it's an earthquake of a magnitude she could never have imagined <gasps> um, and it all gets real dramatic real quick because oh. the entire room tips like the bed crashes into the front end of the room it's it's like falling off a cliff and yeah the hotel is collapsing yeah. as they're standing in it and uh yeah they're they're, they're folded ruins around them and they're un- unhurt when the dust sort of settles mm. but they're buried alive oh my god yeah so they're trapped in this little i guess what's left of their room there's like a corner of it that held up oh. uh, so they're stuck in it now and uh yeah when they realize this is the case Uh, he's like you know we'll find a way out but she's like oh god there's no way out all I wanted was to become your wife and now uh, and he says I love you as much as if you were my wife so they kind of decide they'll do their own little marriage ceremony um, because things are pretty dire at the minute so they kind of say their little vows and kind of sign is it like the receipt from the hotel reception it's very cute so they both sign it and he writes down you know on this day we were married um 
put in their names and have a big kiss and then get the fucking ride because you might as well. Oh my God. <laughs> and I, as, as the kiss deepened, all the passion they'd been harboring during the months of their courtship rushed over them like a powerful wave. Ooh. Shall we stop Edward Wurward and her hair? We love a consent, uh, a, a respectful yes. consent-seeking boy. Let's do it. <laughs> No, Sarah breathed. She wanted to be swept away. She wanted to go as far as their love would take her. Hell yeah. I mean, you might as well bone down. What else are you going to do? Like you're trapped in a fucking collapsed hotel. So go for it, lads. I don't think I'll be able to concentrate because I'd be thinking (laughs) about the impending collapse of the hotel. So I guess you're underestimating just how horny they are. (laughs) True, true. I mean, the first time is usually pretty uncomfortable as well but uh, I'm very uncomfortable for them (laughs) well that's all they've got to work with unfortunately (laughs) true so yeah that's pretty much our is this our first actual sex reference like you know I'm I'm talking explicit but an actual (laughs) like very clear reference to somebody doing it I think so I mean, no one fucks in Sweet Valley in the main series. So, like, these bits are very tantalising in the (laughs) saga. Well, afterwards, even though they've been, after they they, uh, they succumb to the the throes of passion, (laughs) they, uh, even though they've been trapped for ages, Sarah, you know, she thinks basically they're dying, but she feels at peace because she won't die without knowing Edward's love. Oh. And she starts to just sort of fade away and pass out. But then what should she hear? Yeah, she uh, she can hear noises like a scraping sound <gasps> of shifting boards. So she thinks it's like building collapsing even further. Uh, but suddenly they see torchlight and the pair of them are kind of pulled out of the little tomb, basically, yes. that they were trapped in. Uh, so, yeah, rescuers have managed to pull them out. Uh, and hustle them across the street to the safety of a small park so they can see like that all the buildings are absolutely fucked and they've been found and are thankfully alive. And uh, yeah, all around them is chaos. But um, uh, Edward insists on joining the rescuers and returns to the ruins. And uh, as he as he arrives back at the ruins of the hotel, he hears a baby crying. Yeah, oh my God. So there's there's a, a, there's a wail of a child pierced the air. So there is actually a baby trapped somehow in, in the hotel. And uh, she's like, how could he possibly hope to find like a tiny baby in all that wreckage? So of course, poor Sarah is watching all this absolutely stressed to bits. But um, yeah, in a few minutes, Edward reappears on a high ledge <gasps> with a child in his arms. He actually did it. Well, of course, he is a Wakefield ancestor. So I mean, look. You're not going to be able to find that baby in a rude hotel. But, <laughs> but then... Just as she's thinking, wow, he saved the baby. Um, there's an aftershock. Oh, this is so lousy. Oh, yeah, it is awful. So, so it'll, like, it knocks her down onto the ground again. And of course, it hurls Edward from the ledge with the kid. Um, so she runs across to him. But of course, he's been absolutely like lamped onto the ground with the baby. The baby's still alive, which obviously is great. But poor Edward himself is motionless. Yes. Um, so, uh, yeah, they were going to kill off the baby, I'm relieved to say. Yeah, well, but, that's good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> They, uh, yeah, they they have killed off poor old Edward. And Aww. as Sarah watches in horror, by the way, they they really don't uh, pull any punches. One of the the, um, the rescuers just puts his finger on uh, Edward's throat to check the pulse. Just goes dead. Oh, God. 
<laughs> Seems and, really harsh, but yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, Sarah wails. No, he can't be. He's my husband. We were just married. Don't take him away from me. And it actually is really sad. It is. Poor Sarah. Like, that is really tough going. Um, yeah, so she's just, just feels completely alone in the world now as he's just carried off on a wagon somewhere. And it's yeah. it's pretty grim for poor Sarah. It is. We cut back to Vista, California a few days later. Sarah arrives home. Um, so she uh, she had to tell Edward's parents about his death, but she didn't tell them about their, you know, uh, unofficial uh, nuptials. Yes. <laughs> and uh, when she arrives back at the house, Kia welcomes her warmly because he heard of the earthquake and feared the worst. And Sarah thinks she'll never leave home again. Oh, yeah. Poor Sarah. She's obviously extremely shaken by this and glad to see her dad uh, and apologises for running away. Uh, Of course, she blames herself then and is like, you know, if I hadn't run away, Edward would still be alive. But um, Theodore is lovely and he's like, look, you mustn't blame yourself. There was nothing you can do. Um, And she says, you know, can you forgive me for running off to get married? He says, of course, you know, we must put the past behind us. And you kind of think, okay, yeah, Theo has a bit of perspective now and he's glad she's alive and it's all going to be good again. So yeah, she's like, I'll never have to leave home again. This is great. (gasps) But then, few weeks later poor Sarah is still having nightmares uh, understandably about mm-hmm. what happened in San Francisco and she's lost her appetite and she's really not feeling well so Theo was like look I think you have to go to the doctor because this is you know something physically mm. isn't right yeah and then we told we're told that uh, the doctor in a matter of fa- fact manner proceeded to ask Sarah a number of questions a few of which were so personal they made her blush <laughs> and then reveals she's having a baby oh my god yeah he's like what a comfort it will be to have a child to remember your late husband by um so sarah is absolutely shocked by this but is also like oh fuck what am i going to tell my dad (laughs) and when she does tell her dad theo uh is delighted because he thinks that they obviously got married and is saying like oh Mm. your marriage license wasn't lost in the earthquake and then (laughs) she reveals the truth Oh, yeah, poor Sarah. I don't know why she didn't just lie to be yes, honest. Yes, I, I really don't, because it would be very easy to lie, because, like, you could have lost the marriage certificate. Yeah, it seems perfectly reasonable. Like, San Francisco is an absolute state right at this moment, so I think a marriage license is the least of anybody's fucking concerns. So you could totally have got away with this. But no, she comes clean and tells him that, um, you know, he the, the ring that she was wearing, he had given that to her way before they went to San Francisco. There was no legal marriage Uh but yeah, that the earthquake came before they could visit the Justice of the Peace. And oh. Theodore fucking loses the rag. He's like, oh, you were carrying yes. on as husband and wife and sneaking around behind my back. Does the entire town know about your behaviour? Like, Theodore, get a fucking grip. Oh. Well, yeah, Your son is dead. Your one child now <laughs> is pregnant. So you have a grandchild to look forward to. Like, just chill out, will you? Oh, uh, yeah, because she says... Um, uh, he says, the child you carry has no father, no name. And Sarah says, Edward is, his, is its father and I will name it whatever I want. What does it matter what it's named? And Theodore says, it is not entitled to the name of Brooke I mean, and neither will it possess that of Wakefield. <gasps> I mean, you're better off. But, um... <laughs> well, that's true. But like, fucking hell, it's so harsh. Like, I'm poor oh, Sarah. Awful. And then he makes her... Uh, pack her bag and boots her off to Mendocino to have the baby. Oh my god! Yeah, um, yeah, she's 
fucking carted off to a boarding house where the, the woman who runs it is expecting a young widow. And uh, yeah, he's organized for the, the local doctor to take care of her uh, and is going to send her off with some money. But yeah, he's just going to tell everyone in town that she's gone away for her health uh, to cure her nerves uh, oh. since the earthquake. So nobody knows that she's pregnant and is about to have kids. So like, oh, fucking hell, Theodore. Like literally, I don't know why he isn't like, you know what? Thanks for telling me. We'll just tell everyone that you guys were married yeah. legally. This is all fine. Like, we'll figure it out. But no, not a grip to be had with this lad. It's also, it's a really good opportunity to say that you were, you know, it's a very harmless, undangerous lie to tell. Because mm. it's not like Edward's going to turn up. You know, it's not like she has a, a love child <laughs> and a cat has abandoned her. It's like somebody they all know who she was seeing who yeah. was tragically killed. Like, just say you went to the Justice of the Peace. Yeah, it's fine. And like, no one's going to go to San Francisco and be like, I need to check a marriage search immediately. <laughs> it's like, they've got other fish to fry right now in San Francisco. And also who would actually go doing research like that? Like, you could totally have got away with this, lads. I just don't understand this. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of contrived things. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, Sarah just is like, fine, OK, well, I guess I better go. But she's um, she's heartbroken, but she's determined not to give in to despair. And thinks, after all, I'm a Wakefield too. Well, good for you, Sarah. <laughs> I mean, fat lot of good that's done anybody so far. Very true. It's quite the grim life thus far. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. <laughs> well, uh, months later, I guess, like eight months later, yeah. she's still um, in uh, Mendocino with mm. little Teddy. Oh, yeah. So she's had her little baby, um, goes for little afternoon walks on the cliffs. And uh, yeah, she's written home to her dad. Uh, but she was very sad, I suppose, at the birth, obviously, because she was just it was just her and the doctor. Aww. And the doctor looked really proud. And she was just like, oh, my own father should have been with me. Um, but yeah, I think in the meantime, she's written to him to let him know uh, that the baby has been born. Um, he was born on New Year's Day, actually. Yeah, so she's just now waiting for her dad, just kind of looking forward to getting home. But when Theo comes to collect her, um, he, he does smile when he hears the baby is called Teddy because he thinks mm. it's short for Theodore. Yeah. Then he realizes it's short for, it's an, he's an Edward, he's a, an Edward yeah. Ted. <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, then he's like, um, what did you expect? You sent her away and you expect her to name the kid after you and not, and not her like boyfriend slash almost husband that tragically died. Like Yes, and who also has a name that can be, uh, you know, shortened yeah. to Ted. It's like Ted works for both of your names. Shut up, like. <laughs> well, he's come to take her home, but only her. Oh my God. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, he says the baby must be left behind. He can be put up for adoption. And of course, Sarah is absolutely horrified by this. Um, but he was like, nope, you know, you, the story I told in town, you went away for your health. You simply cannot return to Vista with a child. So she's like, right, then I'm not coming back. Uh, and Theo, who apparently seems intent on never learning a single lesson oh in his life God. or exactly. ever gaining any kind of perspective <laughs> whatsoever, is like, right, well, if that's what you want, that's what we'll do. <laughs> so he's just like, right, off you go. I'll give you money, but you're on your own. And she's like, I don't want your stupid money. <laughs> and he leaves without a backward glance. What is his fucking problem? Like this man who like everyone he's loved has either died or he's kicked them out of the house. It's like at this point, <laughs> this is on you, Theo, like for oh, fuck's sake. It really is. <laughs> Um, so she worries, of course, because it is 1906 or whatever. Um, she worries about what being illegitimate, mm. their words not ours, yeah. uh, will do to Teddy because um, he is a bastard child. <laughs> and she she makes a vow. She will raise him 
as his aunt, yeah. not his mother. Now, this is obviously sad, but if she's lying anyway, she's got to start a new life, why not say she's a widow? I don't I understand. It makes Again, no who's gonna who's gonna sense. go and check these things? Like yeah. you get a free pass, you're starting over. Just say you're his mom, like it'll be fine. Oh, so stupid. Anyway, uh yes, it's it is quite a, a tragic scene when she says I'll provide for you and protect you, and you will never know that I am your real mother. Aww. And then we cut to Chicago, Chicago, <laughs> it's my kind of town. <laughs> Hell yes, baby, it is 1924. It is prohibition. Yay! <laughs> now, there is a dreadful shortage of OTGs. Oh, I really thought Ted was going to deliver for us on the OTG oh, front, I have to say. Very excited when we hit cut to the 20s, but uh, we did get some proper OTGs in the <laughs> Wakefield. This is true. Yes, that's a good one to revisit if you're starved of OTG content. Oh. You can always refer back to that. An actual OTG appears. Yeah, in that. for real. <laughs> Um, so uh, yeah, Teddy's about to start college. Sarah works for the district attorney as a typist. Um, and... Uh, Apparently, like she's been saving up a college fund for him for years, but she's told him this convoluted web oh. of stupid lies. <laughs> so ridiculous. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. So, as far as young 17 year old Ted is concerned, his parents, James and Edwina Wakefield, <laughs> were killed in a train crash in California shortly after he was born. Um, so, obviously, the Edwina. <laughs> fiction is because of his real dad being Edward so she pretends obviously that her her brother James uh was his real dad and uh yeah so yeah that they died shortly after his birth and his young aunt only in her late teens and herself recently orphaned by the death of her own father had decided to raise her beloved older brother's child as her own so in his world uh granddad's dead dad's dead (laughs) mother is a woman called Edwina also dead (laughs) Like if you're gonna tell that many stupid lies, why not just tell the lie that I um I was married to your dad? Yeah. I mean, she could have made this way more straightforward. For they were venting Edwina. <laughs> that was hilarious. For a second, I was like, Edwina, where is this coming from? Oh, Edward, got it. Okay, his drag persona. I see. <laughs> Edwina Wakefield does sound like kind of a drag name. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> Well, Teddy has news for his, uh, what he believes is his aunt. He's got a new job. He's going to be a waiter at the Black Cat Cafe. They say the tips are swell. My God. Yes. (laughs) Excellent. Thank you, Teddy. I love it. (laughs) So uh, Sarah is a bit worried about him working uh, in uh, in a jazz club. Mm. And... um, because she thinks they're basically, it's basically going to be a speakeasy. Speakeasy, yeah. But Teddy says, everything in the black cat is on the up and up. All the best <laughs> musicians play there. Think of the swell folks I'll meet. <laughs> Sarah says, swell folks, gangsters and bootleggers are more like it. Oh, if only, Sarah. <laughs> oh! <laughs> there aren't half enough. <laughs> oh, I had my hopes up. Same. <laughs> so, um... Yeah, Teddy is a nice kid. And he says, look, if you're really upset, I won't do it. But she says, oh, it's just, you know, she looks a bit upset. Um, But she says, oh, it's just like, you look like your grand, I mean, your father. (laughs) Again, they're all clones of each other, all these white (laughs) girls. 
So she says, look, I trust you and your good sense. I just hope you don't turn into a complete lounge lizard and forget <laughs> about your college plans. Because <laughs> uh, she wants him to be the first Wakefield to win a college degree and maybe even become a lawyer. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, we cut to the Black Cat Cafe uh, uh, where uh, the air is pulsing with the cool, smooth sounds of a jazz quartet because those teens love their jazz. Oh my God, we're just hitting all the fucking Sweet Valley bingo marks, aren't we? It's fantastic. I love it. <laughs> well, uh, Ted is serving the, the drinks, but of course everyone's spiking them because this is prohibition. And, I mean, fair. <laughs> um, he's entranced by the skillful uh, saxophone playing of Emmett Slim Stark. Mm. Uh, he gives Slim Stark free drink as a token of his esteem. And we're told that Slim's voice is as deep and melodious as that of his sax. So imagine him being like, wah, 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 wah. <laughs> That's how he says low. <laughs> Great conversationalist, that guy. <laughs> <laughs> well he, he has to go back to work uh by the way he does hardly he does fuck all work in this job <laughs> this guy doesn't do a fucking tap in this club oh my god i don't know how he's getting away with it i kind of respect it so yeah fair <laughs> enough because <laughs> yeah. uh, he does a little bit of work and then he goes back uh to the table where slim had been sitting and uh there's a beautiful girl sitting there there is, yes. Uh, he hadn't noticed her previously, uh, but he offers to to get her a drink and uh, she says, oh, why don't you sit down while I think about it? So, um, yeah, they kind of get chatting about music and it turns out that her dad uh, is Mr. Stark, the amazing saxophonist, and she's Tina Stark. Mm, yes, and she wants, uh, yeah, she wants to be a, a jazz singer herself. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, they hit the dance floor and Jessica clearly inherited those famed dancing skills because... As uh, Tina says to uh, to Ted, you can really cut a rug, Ted Wakefield. Oh my God, brilliant! <laughs> By the way, they're doing the Charleston, and he's spinning her and dipping her low. And I have done the plenty of tap dancing classes in my time, um, and the Charleston does not involve spinning and dipping anybody. It's all just you're just grooving away. Yeah. Um, but uh, I'll forgive it because I do enjoy a dance scene. Well, that's fair, yeah. So Ted had a great night. Clearly didn't do a tap of work. He was on the dance floor half the time, (laughs) hanging out with Tina and Slim. Um, We're told that he he tells her all about school, where he works for the student paper, and she tells her dreams of being a jazz singer. And uh, he... uh, he talks about how much jazz means to him and how it's it's free and daring and forward-reaching. It's the soul of the 20th century. <laughs> and Tina's very impressed by his way with words. Yeah, she says that he talks like a poet and wonders if he's ever thought about writing about all this. And he says, I'm no F. Scott Fitzgerald. I just write for my high school paper. I'm not a real reporter. <sighs> but she said, he's, look, well, why don't you... You could be if you just submitted something to a real newspaper. And... Uh, He's like, well, look, I'm not a critic. And she said, well, you know, you just write about the vibes, not about the of the clubs. Like, you don't need to do <laughs> some music critique. And he's like, hmm. Maybe I will. I love that. Like, this is my column. No thoughts, just vibes. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you, Dad. Seriously. 
Why not? I love that we're all just calling them Ned. It's just the, the oh, stockholder yeah. kind of placeholder name for all these Wakefield men. Ned, it's all Ned, versions of Edward and Ted and Ned and Theo. It's fine. They're all Ned. Exactly. Well, we cut to a few weeks later and Ted and Tina are the best of pals. And uh, he's got some news for her. He rings her up and tells her that uh, they have to, will she meet him at the Art Institute? Uh, known to me solely for being in Ferris Bueller's Day Off and yeah. then he'll take her out in the town and what could that news be? Yeah he's a guest columnist now for the paper uh, because the editor at the Post liked his piece so much he's been signed up to write a weekly jazz column so his his vibes column is on the go <laughs> he's fucking done it and he's going to be a published writer yeah, and it's paid so well he can give up the waitering and mm. uh, basically everything's coming up awake for you. Hooray! <laughs> and who's this young dandy strutting down the street? It's Ted <laughs> oh and his stylish new duds. Oh my God, yes, fantastic. Yeah, he realised that uh, he's going to need some new duds for his new job as a columnist, especially now that he's covering the jazz scene. Oh. So he needs to make a stylish appearance. And uh, he also wants to be able to impress the girls with his fancy clothes when he goes to college in a few weeks, which is quite cute, actually. Yeah. <laughs> so he heads to a club called the Uptown Lounge and he arrives just as Slim invites Tina to the stage. And of course, she's amazing. Yes. Um, and afterwards, he's like, God, you're brilliant. And compares it to Bessie Smith. And she's like, look, I'm really going to miss you when you go to college. And he's like, oh, yeah, college. Because hmm. <laughs> he's not feeling college at the moment. Yeah, this is it. he's having such a good time bopping around from uh, from one club to another and making a living just writing about that. Uh, that he's kind of like, mm, why would I why would I study life when I can just live it? Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah. That's his, um, that's his, he's made his decision and on the, I guess it's the next day he strolls in late for breakfast and his aunt jokes, oh, look, we sort of live on different schedules. Like you're always, you know, you're out all night and mm. I'm out all day. And he feels a bit guilty about this, especially when she hands him a letter from Ross College, which is the university he's meant to be going to, um, about, I guess, admission stuff. Yeah. And then he makes his, he drops his bombshell. Oh, God. Yeah. He says that he doesn't want to go to college. And Sarah is very disappointed. Like, in fairness to her, like, she's been saving up all these years yeah. for him to go and, like, you know, really wanted him to be the first Wakefield to, to go to college and all the rest. But, um, yeah, she's like, look, you know, it's great that you've done so well and you're a good writer. But she's like, just think how much you could grow by attending college and it'd be a whole new world. But he wants to stay in Chicago. But then, of course, she's arguing that, you know, he's, he's missing out by yeah. limiting his options and he might never have another chance like this. And then... He goes fully standards <laughs> and says, I wish you wouldn't try and tell me what to do. You're not my mother. <laughs> I know she doesn't say, yes, I am. <laughs> that would have been very satisfying. But no, she's just obviously very stricken by this because it's really shitty of him. Um, considering, you know, obviously she is, but he doesn't know that. But like she has done everything for him all his life. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he, he apologizes, but just says, you know, you can't live my life for me and I can't live for yours for you. And um, yeah, he, he just kind of, storms off out because he didn't want to see her cry oh. and it's like damn dead that's pretty cool yeah it's kind of a reverse one's away crying isn't it yeah he's <laughs> running away so i don't have to look at you crying <laughs> well we're told that for the next few days he and sarah he sort of avoids sarah he stays out all the time um yeah. uh but then one day he comes home late from one of his clubs and he finds her sitting on the sofa holding a letter from a solicitor 
<gasps> oh my god yes so there's news from Vista California and oh, Ted oh. knows obviously Vista is where she had grown up um so she tells him that her father his grandfather has <gasps> died he left all his money to us in his will there's a sizable amount and of course Ted is like wait what you told me my grandfather yep. died years ago um and Sarah then has to admit the entire truth yes she reveals all. She shows him the family ring with the crest. She shows him Dancing Wind's journal because the solicitor conveniently sent both of those things. And <laughs> it's very handy. <laughs> Teddy is stunned. He's outraged. She lied all his life. Aww. Then he realises he's just a, a love child. <laughs> he's like, here I've been carrying on as if I owe the world for a real reality. I'm a nobody. I have to go to this house. <laughs> He's just going to go to college that very night. Yeah, that's it. I, was kind of, I did kind of wonder what his plan was. But yeah, he grabs all his stuff, uh, tears down the hallway and like poor Sarah is trying to call after him. But he's out of there. But like he's also heading to college. So it's kind of like, well, in fairness to Sarah, that actually worked out pretty well for her. <laughs> well, it actually has. I mean, apart yeah. from the big fight part. I mean, yeah, but they'll figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> well, we cut to the following year in Ross, Ohio. And Ted and his new pal Harry Watson are engaging in some frankly revolting fresh action. Oh, this is so gross. Um, yeah, it opens with uh, people yelling, swallow that fish, because people are being hazed for this fucking fraternity that Teddy is in. And people have to, like, drink a fish. It's disgusting. It is really disgusting. Um, yeah, they're like, they're, they're popping a fish like an aspirin. <laughs> Horrible. Yeah. So they're like, yeah, drinking a goldfish, uh, chasing it down with beer. And Ugh. now they have a goldfish in them, I guess. And this is uh, their entry into uh, what's it called? Gamma Delta Iota. Uh, yes. Ted shakes Harry's hand and says, congratulations. Now we're brothers as well as roommates. This is swell. Harry agreed. <laughs> There'll be no stopping us now, old chum. <laughs> oh, uh, so, uh, yeah. They're, um, they head out to a big frat party where Ted has arranged a cool jazz band. <laughs> and they're off Charlestoning again. Yeah. Uh, Harry sounds like a bit of a pain in the arse. A little bit, yeah, that's true. But Ted thinks <laughs> Harry really was a card. Yeah, apparently he's hilarious and great fun. Um, but yeah, they they had loads of fun together. Um, they met at some like US lawn tennis championships oh, yeah. in New York. Harry's father, Taylor Watson, was a big name in the automobile business. Oh, uh, but apparently Harry himself was just a regular fella, not a snob at all, and always up for an adventure. Uh, so yeah, they get on really well. And uh, yeah, I to be honest, I'd totally forgotten who the fuck Harry Watson was when we were reading yes. this bit. Until he mentions some sisters of his, I was like, "Oh shit, okay, yes, got it." God, yeah. Well, he, he mentions them in a very peculiar way, but uh, so weird. We'll get on to that. Um, so uh, yeah, apparently now Ted has a as a he's got a sort of good balance in his life. He's still writing stuff for the Chicago Post, um, hmm. but he's working hard at school, and he and Sarah are on good terms. And he insisted she keep Theo's money because he's like paying his way through college. Yeah, and Tina's doing well. He's still writing to her. And then a uh, co-ed called Stella, who was dressed like a sort of basically a 20s cliche. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> they just dumped all the cliches over her head. <laughs> she flirts with him and uh, she wonders why. She's sort of Harry's like love interest. And she yeah, wonders why yeah. Ted doesn't have a date. And she goes on a frankly amazing flight of fancy. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God, yes. Uh, oh, flip, where is it? Hang on. Um, it's page 162. <laughs> oh, yes. Okay. 
Yeah, uh, he kind of jokes that um, yeah, the reason that he's he's doesn't have a date is because there's only one Stella Rivers on campus. Um, but she's not buying it. So she's like, "Come on, Harry, give me the scoop on why Ted Wakefield's star reporter doesn't have a date. You have a tragic romantic past, right?" <laughs> There was a girl, striking brunette. No, a platinum blonde. Her father was a Milwaukee beer baron. But the family company went bust because of prohibition. And when you found her, she was selling cigarettes on a seedy Chicago sidewalk. You fell for her hard. <laughs> you wanted to lift her out of that gutter, but she was too proud. Am I close? Oh, 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 I wish, because I would if wish only. I was reading that book. Damn, Stella, why didn't you write this? <laughs> Well, Ted laughs it off, but he can't stop thinking about his love child shame. Oh, God, yes. Uh, yeah, and apparently this is why he doesn't have dates or really go out with anybody, because he doesn't want anybody to get too close and find out the uh, truth about him. He looks a confident Harry and wishes he had his carefree uh, sort of self-assurance. Mm. We cut to the tennis court because it's uh, sometime later, and ter- Harry and Ted are playing a game. And when they leave the court, Harry insanely... <laughs> Talks. <laughs> uh, says, just remembered, I have something to show you. It's a letter from Samantha. I've told you about my gorgeous 16-year-old twin <laughs> sister, Samantha and Amanda, haven't I? And then Ted says, only about a thousand times, because that's super normal. Oh my god, it's so fucking weird. He, yes, is pimping out his teen twin sisters. <laughs> it's fucking strange uh yeah he <laughs> he says that he sent a snapshot of the two of them uh to his sisters my sister returned the favor yeah take a look at this <laughs> tell me she won't be a movie star someday uh and it's a picture of samantha um so of course samantha and amanda are the two twins are they back in chicago yeah they're no, in detroit. detroit yes detroit and um they're both like hot girls samantha's more of a flapper kind of gal she's got her hair bobbed and all the rest um but Amanda still wears her hair long. So yeah, Samantha has sent on a photo and on the back it says kisses from Samantha. Uh, she's dying yeah. to meet Ted. <laughs> kisses from Samantha in handwriting that was as rich and curvy as oh, she God. was. Jesus. <laughs> also, writing kisses from Samantha is a bit weird to your brother, isn't it? Well, it was not meant to be a, a picture for Ted, no? Oh, or, oh she did yeah. send it to her brother. So I thought it was like, because Ted had sent a photo, or sorry, not Ted. Harry had sent a photo of himself and mm. um, uh, and Ted. Ted. Yeah. So I guess maybe she means him to pass this on, but it sounds like so. it's like yeah. here's a photo, you know, that you can put in your wallet or whatever. Mm. But uh, I don't know. Everything about <laughs> it is deeply weird. Oh, this whole thing is fucking weird. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so Harry is all like, she's dying to meet you and you've got to drop into Detroit on your way home from Chicago for the holidays. And he's like, you don't have to tell me twice. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. He keeps so, the photo. Uh, yeah. Harry's convinced him and Samantha are going to hit it off. Uh, apparently, yeah, she loves jazz and she can dance all night. Yeah. So, yeah, he's insistent on, on fucking hooking up his friend with his 16 year old sister for some reason. Yeah. Well, we cut to a few months later and Harry and Ted return to their college room after a late night. And as soon as Harry passes out, Ted opens a letter from Amanda. Oh, my God. Yeah, I kind of was trying to remember what the hell happened. in the last Oh, book. I had to look up my own notes <laughs> for that episode. Yeah, fair. Yeah. So obviously him and Amanda hit it off, but are kind of keeping things secret because Samantha is so into him that it'll it'll just break her heart, apparently, if she, she realises that Ted 
doesn't fancy her as much as she fancies him. Um, so yeah, Amanda has turned out to be the girl of his dreams and they write oh. to each other and she writes poetry and oh. they they got on really well. This whole thing is creepy though because like Ted is basically Ned and these twins are basically Liz and Jess. So it's oh. just like... Mm. Oh, yeah. You know, uh-huh. that like that's the kind of template that we're working off of here for yeah. these characters. So it's gross that two of them are looking at <laughs> Uh, well, uh, yeah, we get a very lavish description of of um, of Amanda, which is, as I now say, like a taste of the horrors to come in the <laughs> Sweet Valley era. Very so, true. Like, um, her hair was like spun gold. Her eyes a deep blue green, like a mountain pool. Her creamy skin as soft and inviting as velvet. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> um, so, yeah, in the letter, um, I mean, this is all stuff that happened in the other book, which I'd forgotten hmm. about until I went back and read my notes. Yeah. But Amanda <laughs> said she told Samantha that, because uh, Samantha was obviously after Ted, she told Samantha that um, she and Ted are writing to each other. And apparently she's basically OK with it. And yeah. Ted is like, OK, well, that's cool. But there's still one thing bothering him, something he hasn't been quite honest about. Uh, yeah, well, he he still hasn't retold really anybody about his, his actual background. Mm. Yeah, he told them, and this is obviously yet more retconning because uh, he said that his family had struck rich with gold and then lost their fortune which is why he has to work and that was clearly meant to be his backstory when they thought there was just going to be one Wakefield saga and now they're like oh yeah that was a lie <laughs> shit yeah <laughs> we better make up the difference here <laughs> So months later, uh, we cut to Ted and Amanda leaving a jazz club in Detroit. And uh, Ted says, come on, let's blow this joint. <laughs> I like. Love it. <laughs> um, so he, but it turns out that uh, he arrived to visit her, only to discover that his letter telling him he was on his way, he would call in on his way to Chicago, never arrived. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, so nobody's expecting him and it's all a bit strange. Yeah, and then Amanda was working at the school paper, so Samantha dragged him off to Lover's Lane and got enraged when he told her that she, he and Amanda were in love. <gasps> oh my God. Uh, yeah, so of course this was all kind of scheming by uh, Samantha, Samantha yeah. that we kind of cover in the other book. But again, like if you hadn't read the other book, then reading this, you'd probably be a bit confused as to what the fuck is going on it's very confusing yeah like super confusing i was i really i didn't like what transpires over the next few pages did not make any sense yeah. so i looked back i was like what the fuck that's it without the other half it's just like i don't know what's happening here <laughs> exactly so uh yeah they um they bid each other good night and they think i'll be better in the morning because everything, everything's still a bit tense and the watsons think he's been messing their daughters around sort of going yeah. out with each of them and the twins aren't are on the outs um, but uh, no sooner have they gone to bed they're woken with a message yeah uh, so Amanda uh, wakes him up and says that his friend uh, C.C. Earl is in trouble and needs his help he's a jazz musician don't you know oh yes <laughs> um, so they arrive at the cafe club where uh, C.C. is, is uh, in dire straits apparently but it's, they're not greeted by their jazz musician pal they're greeted by the Rosers Oh no, yeah, so the cops are on the scene and they're like, oh, Miss Amanda Watson, uh, perhaps you'd like to step out of the auto and uh, this agent guy is like, uh, yeah, he wants to thank her for doing her duty and, and bringing this uh, criminal to us. And Ted's kind of like, wait, what is going on? And I was also like, wait, what is going on? 
But um, yeah, so Ted is completely confused. He's like, wait, I thought Earl sent for me. But um, Amanda doesn't meet his eyes. And uh, this agent guy is like, oh, we hear you've been financing your college tuition with some illegal money. So they search the car and find like boxes absolutely crammed with booze <gasps> in the boot of his car. And poor Ted is absolutely stunned and doesn't know what the hell is going on. So he's looking at uh, Amanda and he's like, what's what's happening? Like you told me. Like, did you know this was in my trunk? Yeah. Like, what's going on? What is happening? And of course, while all this is going on, what's actually happening is that it's Samantha pretending to be Amanda and absolutely stitching him up. Yes. And people are like, oh, this is so terrible. Oh, mm. you tried to seduce my sister. And uh, um, like, you're, you're, you're clearly a terrible person. Ted, <laughs> he thinks that it's Amanda <laughs> and thinks that Amanda's having his re- her revenge for supposedly coming on to Samantha. Yeah. And he's like, what sort of crazy bitch would have me sent to jail for that? The Jessica Wakefield kind of bitch, that's who. Yeah. So uh, he says, she can't be the girl he fell in love with. Oh. By the way, when I looked at my notes, it uh, did remind me of the great, well, detail that when um, Amanda found out what Samantha had done, she walked into her room and wrote snake on her mirror in lipstick. Oh my God, I'd totally forgotten that. God, oh God, I love a mirror message. That's fantastic. Yes. <laughs> Snake. <laughs> I love it. Also writing in lipstick. So, so good. good. Oh, fantastic. Well, Ted is sent to the cells. But then he's, uh, he's released by a frankly OTG-like officer. <laughs> he is a bit OTG, isn't it? Like a good news for you, pal. <laughs> You're off the hook and free to go. So yeah, <laughs> apparently they they realised it was a setup. They didn't have any charge. They couldn't make the charges against him. Uh, uh, stick. stick. Yeah. So he realised it's like a setup. The girl <gasps> I loved set me up. Oh. And uh, Johnston, the cop, says, "Tough break, kid. If you want my advice in the future, stay away from the flashy dolls. <laughs> they only cause trouble." <laughs> <laughs> this guy is great actually this is the only good cop we've ever met <laughs> I know he's very Damon Runyon <laughs> I love him I dearly love such scenes <laughs> um, so uh, yeah Ted is miserable he's just like oh my god what is the point with anything um, and he just drives off he doesn't even bother going back to the Watson's, Watson's house for his belongings no he's out of here he's like it's time to leave Detroit fire behind me and he is better off <laughs> yep he uh, he heads, he hits the open road. Mm. And as Ted heads off uh, towards uh, Chicago, we are going to take a little break because, as you know, we are part of, part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. And every week we like to uh, give you a little, uh, little heads up about another podcast on the network. That's right. And this week it's the Bootsy Boys Blackbird. So the Bootsy Boys got tired of waiting for Michael Flatley to release his modern day masterpiece, the action spy thriller Blackbird, which, uh, you know, I want to see it. OK, I'm not ashamed <laughs> to admit it. I want to see it. I love a stupid action film. Mm. And I want, don't I don't give wanna... him any money. That's oh, no, no, no. This is it. I will not yeah. pay for it, but yeah. I will find a way to watch it whenever it becomes available <laughs> because that guy can absolutely fuck off. Um, so anyway, the Bootsy Boys got fed up of waiting. They've written their own version, which which gotta love that. So oh. starring Edwin Salmon, Finn Bardoyle and the comedy sketch group, The Bootsy Boys. I mean, I kind of love this as a premise for a podcast and you can oh. have a little listen to what the lads are up to right here. Tell me, are you still looking for something worth dying for? Oh, kid. I left all that behind me. 
These days, I'm much happier as the humble owner of this down-to-earth and incredibly exclusive nightclub. Mick turns his head away and stares pensively. Dancing hot sex man adventure romance. He will kick several Nazis and get in your pants. Blackbird! Listen to the Bootsy Boys Blackbird on the Headstuff Podcast Network. And now, back to not Sweet Valley, but Chicago. <laughs> oh, fantastic. <laughs> Uh, yeah, he arrives back at the house. Uh, turns out Sarah's got a boyfriend now, a middle-aged widower, and she's out with him. So Ted looks at his the, the family wing and Dancing Wind's journal, and he just thinks he can't return to his old life. So he decides he's going to head west and explore his roots. Three months later, he arrives at the Last Change Lodge in Swift River, Colorado. Oh my God, what a name for a place. I love it. <laughs> well, he cuts quite a picture in his dungas. And his copper tan and beard. <laughs> He's looking good. Uh, so yeah, just like quite an outfit. Well-worn pair of dungarees, leather cowboy boots. Are the Hell yeah. dungarees tucked into them? Are they over I, them? You know, maybe it's one of each. Oh. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, he, he arrives in the Last Change Lodge and he meets not an OTG, but an OTP, an Otami Prospector. Oh, my God. I love that they're just, we're adding more and more to our little roster of <laughs> acronymed guys. It's great. <laughs> yeah, it's an old, it's a grizzled mountain man called Dick. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, Dick Dawson. Uh, this guy, I love him. Yeah, <laughs> He's a grizzled, yeah, grizzled mountain man in grimy jeans and the top, <laughs> the top of a pair of red long johns. <laughs> <laughs> With a hatch in the back, no doubt. So good. Good for you, Dick. Living your best life. <laughs> <laughs> well this uh this otp asks him like tell, tell him his tale and he does um turns out he doesn't sound like he looked very hard but he arrived he wasn't able to find edward's parents because he arrived in vista california was like oh they sold up and like uh, did they go anywhere like they could still be alive nope doesn't care um, <laughs> but uh now he wants to find uh the awaswan uh people because it turns out they were relocated. There's a new euphemism for you. Yeah. Um, from um, California to Oregon in the 1860s. And apparently their reservation is just five miles away from the town. So Dick, the OTP, lends mm-hmm. him a horse to make he it. He does. Turn. Yes, old Pete. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, he arrives at, uh, at, the, at the reservation and it's pretty nice. It's nicer than the town he's just left. Very true, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's, you know, it it's described as, you know, a village of small log cabins uh, that look more comfortable than his room at Last Chance Lodge. Uh, there's plots of land planted with vegetables, paddocks and pens for horses, pigs, goats and chickens. Uh, and it all sounds kind of idyllic. I don't know how true that is to uh, reservation experience, to be uh, fair. Yeah. But, uh, but they make it sound nice here. So whether that's the case or not ugh, remains to be seen. Yes. But um, yeah, so he's looking for 10 horses because this is a chief who knows loads of tribal lore and history. So this yeah. is the guy to talk to if he wants to find out about owl feather. Yes. Uh, so when he goes into Ten Horses' cabin, he's surprised to see a blonde white woman uh, wearing dungas. And uh, as I often am myself in these <laughs> troubled times. Increasingly so these last few years. <laughs> um, and she's got a notebook and she's talking to Ten Horses. And uh, Ted says he wants to find out about his great-grandmother, Owlfeather. And Ten Horses knows all about her. <laughs> 
kind of hilarious, actually, because Ted turns up. Uh, he's just like, oh, what about Elfeather? But yeah, the chief is like, yes, her story is known to me. Others have forsaken the tribe to become white people. But Elfeather's departure is remembered because she had been promised uh, to the chief for his bride. So it turns out that her dad was the medicine man uh, and spiritual leader of the tribe. And it was believed that a union between her dad's uh, most beautiful daughter and the chief, Fist of Thunder, would bring new strength and luck to the tribe, which was then experiencing the first encroachments of the white man. So then Elfeather bails off with her white husband and fucked it up for everybody, basically. <laughs> well, I just I'm very excited that we've got Fist of Thunder, Fist of Fury. Oh God, I didn't even make that connection. <laughs> Holy shit, where's the Wilkins saga? <laughs> but this is the thing. Maybe this is like another example of two Wakefield, of Wakefield ancestors meeting, you know, almost getting together with a oh certain family. Maybe Fist of Thunder is yeah. not Wilkins ancestors. You know, we could do another... <laughs> <laughs> that's great uh, so uh, yeah because apparently when Elfeather ran off with uh, this white guy Fist was furious oh god yeah so people say apparently that the tribe's ill fortune dates from Elfeather's departure so poor Ted is like oh shit uh, sorry my <laughs> always causing trouble we kind of suck um, but uh, Ten Horses wonders if the return of Elfeather's you know, ancestor mm. or descendant, descendant sorry, yeah. will change their luck and uh, thinks that, you know, he, maybe he brings good fortune along with Paper Voices, which is their name for Julia, which is oh, a very nice name. It's cute, isn't it? Yeah. So the chief tells him to return, or sorry, not the chief, um, uh, Ten Horses uh, tells him to return tomorrow to meet to meet more of the, of the tribe. Mm. And he says he will. So outside, the girl from the cabin introduces herself as Julia Marks. And uh, she asks if he can give her a lift back to town. He says he'll give her a lift on Peach for a story. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, what a story it is yeah so she says well, apparently stories are her line and reveals that she's a journalist uh, so Ted is like oh so am I or at least I was um, so he kind of says that you know he, he wrote for a few papers oh. and covered the jazz scene but uh, yeah he wants to hear her story first so she explains that she's from New York her dad's a Wall Street financier and she's an only child it's like Ted put two and two together you're filthy rich huh <laughs> so she's like yeah <laughs> fair enough <laughs> Um, so yeah she says that she's always wanted to be a reporter and when she graduated from high school she went looking for a job um, she didn't have to work but didn't want to just live the high life sponging off her dad wanted to earn her own way um, so I'm surprised she like, didn't go to college yeah actually that's fair um, but yeah but Ted is like I don't know yeah, I guess she just wanted to get working straight away <laughs> but uh, yeah Ted's like well you know how come you're not in New York is there not plenty of news there but apparently every time she um, went to like apply to to a paper whenever they'd take a look at her resume no they wouldn't uh, look at her resume they'd just hear her name and figure she was only capable of covering the social scene uh. so she was like oh, can you imagine writing about nothing more important than who wore what and danced with whom at the most recent debutante ball and I was like that sounds like fun yeah that actually does <laughs> whatever Julia <laughs> sorry what? not as cool as you <laughs> she's not like other girl reporters <laughs> Well, in fairness, she has uncovered a pretty uh, important story. So um, this is the reason that she's she's come mm. um, she's come west. She's um, investigating the attempts of the go U.S. government mm -hmm. to renege on land rights um, for the Awaswan uh, people, among other um, tribes. Yeah. Um, so it turns out back in the day, uh, they uh, were given you know these these parcels of land, including mineral rights for those land. And now a, uh, 
Val- well, actually, does she go into the full details now? Um, um, maybe no, not. She right. tells him the next day. Yeah, she says she she asks him to help um, to help her investigations, and he says yes if they can share the byline. And she's mm. like, "Cool, my name will be first. And he's like, "Oh, I like her, Moxie." <laughs> uh, so yeah she tells him the next day um that it turns out the government has backed a mining company who are working on land that was given to um to the the, the it's now part of the Awaswan and Yakima reservations mm. and um the uh, they've supposedly owned it for for several decades but now oil and minerals and iron ore have been discovered there and the local um authorities are saying that the treaty is lost and apparently yeah. there were several draft treaties but they all gave different potential um boundaries so because basically it's the it's the Abiswan's word against the u.s government and the u.s government are demanding evidence so oh yeah it's it's pure shenanigans like you know, from the government awful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, Ted says that the because the, she went to the local government official who's in charge of these things, Frank yeah. Foster, and he he was the one who said they couldn't mm. find the treaty. So Ted says he's the key. Yes. And they have to play him at his own crooked game. Aha. <gasps> uh-huh. Uh, so yeah, they head to his office and they say uh, that they have uncovered a copy of the original treaty passed down through the Yamaka people, uh, signed by President Grant himself, and he's like, what? So, uh, yeah, they say they have to compare it to Foster's copy of the treaty because they know he really has one, despite everything he's been saying. Yeah, so Foster then pulls out his copy of uh, the treaty, puts it on his desk, and Julia's like, oh my God, it's here. So she makes a grab for it and they fucking belt it out of the office with his treaty. (gasps) They do, but um, as they drive off, they realise they're being pursued. Oh my God, shady government men in a black car. I mean, this is a much more sort of subversive book in many ways because it does show like the powers of law and order as being kind of terrible. Apart from the OTG uh, cop. <laughs> that Maybe one, he was an OTG. That on one good cop. Yeah, that's the only reason he was good was because he spoke <laughs> like an OTG. But for the rest of the ones you're right, like the figures of authority are really, yeah. they're not the guys at all to be trusting. Quite subversive. Mm. Uh, so uh, yeah, they're being pursued by these uh, serious men and Julia's like, oh, maybe we should pull over. But Ted's like, they're not taking your story. Um, but then the car starts trying to push them off the cliff. Uh, basically, Ted swerves. Another car, the other car goes over the cliff instead. Oh my god! I actually was not expecting that to happen. This is highly dramatic. It's great. <laughs> really is, and especially as Ted goes to save the drivers, because um, I guess they're not going to have people burnt to death in front of our eyes. Fair <laughs> for now. <Ooh. laughs> and um, yeah, he drags them out of the car, and uh, the car explodes. Oh my god! Yes. Kind of great, to be fair. <laughs> but yeah, in fairness to him, he saves those guys, even though they kind of don't deserve it. Um, but Julia is very impressed, thinks he's a great hero. Uh, actions are fantastic. He's he's a, he's a great man. And she kind of realizes that she's in love with him at this point, I think. Yeah. And he's like, oh, you know, actions aren't everything. Background mm. and family count too. And she's like, I don't give a shit. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I think brilliant. So a few days later, Ted feels like he's accomplished what he set out to do on his trip west. He's he's learned lots of uh, Awaswan lore that he can pass down to his family. Like, yeah, fuck. I mean, sure, Ted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Julia has to go to DC to present the evidence that they've um, garnered and save mm. the uh, save the land, and she wants to write up the story. But um, Ted has no plans, so. 
because he's like, oh, well, I guess I did my little family tree mission. Yeah. So she's like, come to DC. I'm going to stay. My parents are staying with friends of ours and you can stay there too. And um, she, he accepts, but he's clearly, he hasn't made a move or anything. And yeah. she decides that her mission is going to be she was, she's going to put all her energy into this next assignment, winning Ted Wakefield's heart. <laughs> Good for you, Julia. Well, we cut to a transatlantic train. And I have to say that the Wakefield ancestors have way better banter than Todd and Liz, because there's some quite charming bits where... Uh, Ted says about, you know, we had to sell his car in San Francisco. And he says, I was almost sorry to sell the beast back in San Francisco. We covered a lot of ground together. The beast, Julia laughed. Is that how you'll refer to me someday? I was almost almost sorry to part with the beast in DC. We covered a lot of ground together. <laughs> it is very cute. It's almost like screwball light kind of uh, banter, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, very light. Yeah, well. um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's charming. And they're getting on so well that Ted decides to tell her the truth about his background and she's impressed by Sarah's bravery bringing him up alone and mm. um, she uh, she says look I, I pretty much I really really like you and uh, I'd like to get to know you better <laughs> but he feels he has to tell her about Amanda and says he's not ready to love again Oh my God. Yeah. Because uh, she asks, you know, do you still have feelings for her? And he's like, oh, not the kind of feelings you mean. But like, he's obviously just so messed up from the betrayal uh, <gasps> as as he saw it, that he's just, he's just not in a place where he can uh, properly, you know, have a girlfriend and, and treat her right. So uh, she's like, you know what? Don't worry about it. I understand. We'll be wonderful sightseeing companions and we'll have a ball in DC. So hmm. he kind of hopes that this is the case, but wonders, you know, would it really be possible for him and Julia to be just friends? Hmm. Will be cut to the, her, the estate of her family friends in DC, and they've been partying hard. And Ted finally kisses Julia, but then she goes and spoils it all by saying <laughs> something stupid like "I love you." <laughs> that is literally what happens. <laughs> I mean, really, Julia, come on, play it a bit cooler. Oh, she couldn't help it. Yeah, because I suppose she's just like she's been mad about him this whole time and she's finally getting the shift so she's like oh, haven't you wanted this all week because she's like I have but then yeah it all just comes spilling out and she's like I love you Ted do you love me and he's just like uh um yes I mean no I mean oh Julia oh no so you know obviously the moment is completely ruined and he's like oh you're shivering let's go inside so like yeah it's it has not gone particularly well there for Julia unfortunately no uh, it's quite painful yeah mm. but the next day they go around to uh, see the sites of uh, DC my mm. parents used to live in Washington DC so I too have been on this tourist <laughs> trail but I hope I hope I didn't say anything as trite as a remarkable monument <laughs> to a remarkable man oh, when they see the Lincoln Memorial <laughs> <laughs> um and uh, yeah, we get a great description of Julia's uh, outfit, which I'm sure you'll describe at the end. But mm. I remember recently you pointed out that we rarely got Sweet Valley characters described as curvy, but it happens all the time in this book. And this is one of those times. That's true, actually. Yeah. And even, yeah, with um, Samantha, there was, well, yeah. it, was, it was creepy then because she's 16, but it was like her handwriting was as curvy as she was. But yeah, that's true. They're usually just like skinny and that's it. But mm. yeah, the, the gals, the old timey gals are all curvy. So good for yeah. them. <laughs> Uh, so um, 
Ted feels guilty for kind of messing around and getting off with her, but not, you know, being able to really return his his love. Mm. Uh, and he's like, look, I have to go back to Chicago. And he he says that, yeah, he, he could love her, but not with all his heart and all his soul. But he's, she's basically says, look, you can't give up on life because of what happened with Amanda. And mm. in a kind of Jessica style uh, move, she <laughs> says, you look at me, Ted. I'm pretty, I'm smart, I like hard work and adventure. Most of all, I love you with my whole heart and soul. Are you going to hold that against me? I'd make you the perfect wife and you know it. <laughs> it's true, she's, but like, she's likable enough to actually pull this off. Whereas if Jessica uh, was like this, it'd just be more the same shit from her. Whereas, oh yeah. Whereas Julia actually is quite cool, to be fair to her. Oh no, she's a proper sassmouth dame. Like, she's, <laughs> yes, exactly, yes. Um, she's, uh, she's, she's got a sort of, you can imagine her being played by Barbara Stanwyck or something. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm, 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 I'm a fan. Yeah. So Ted's eyes are opened by this dramatic speech. <laughs> Realises he can love her too. A year later, they're moving into a new apartment in New York City. Hooray! Ted's already got a job as the new at the New Yorker. I tell you, they're absolutely flying at the pair of them. So yeah, they're obviously this uh, expose that they wrote about uh, the um, the land rights back back west has done great things for their uh, for their careers. So they've both landed sweet jobs. Mm, yeah, she works for the Daily New York Chronicle, mm. and um, they uh, she has her own column. And Ted says, oh, they, you know, this little room would make a perfect study. And she's like, it would make a good nursery. <gasps> but, but I like, again, in the fact that they have the best banter. She goes, how's that for a scoop? Extra, extra, read all about it. Oh, it is very cute. They're actually quite endearing, to be fair. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Ted says, I think this is going to be our best story yet. Oh. So a few months later, uh, she gives birth to um, to baby Robert. And again, mm. it's quite cute. There's some good banter. When he comes into the room in the hospital, it's like, it's. Uh, she says, hello, darling, you're just in time for our post-breakfast burps. And he says, <laughs> excellent. That's when I find both of you, which are most charming. <laughs> it's so true. They actually have good banter. Like, it's so rare in a Sweet Valley book that it's lovely when it happens. <laughs> yeah. So um, he she gives out about her substitute at the paper because uh, someone else is doing her column, and I I do that feels as a journalist that does feel very real. And when when Ted takes a look at this new columnist, he sees some news that shocks him. Oh God! Uh, yeah, the headline reads that uh, Hollywood starlet Samantha Watson dies. Uh, and Julia's like, God, how sad that she you know died in childbirth. How awful for her poor husband and the little baby. And Ted like doesn't like the, the article doesn't mention Amanda and it's like he didn't see any reason to tell Julia about the connection it's like all you have to do is just say oh my god you know I used to know her or something yeah. but yeah he keeps it a big secret uh, but mm. then just feels feels even luckier at his yes. good fortune that he has his lovely wife and his little baby yes he's counting his blessings hmm. So 10 years later, everything's going well for them. Um, Julia still has her column. Uh, they weathered the depression. Ted got laid off for a while. But uh, again, this is why this is by far the most political uh, book they've had. Because she literally thinks, thank goodness for Franklin Delano Roosevelt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ted's working for the Works Programme Administration. Doing a music yeah, program. It's pretty cool. That's it. He's offering classes and free concerts for the public and he's having a great time. Loves the job uh, because he's able to uh, to give work to many of his down-on-their-look musician friends. Hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, she's covering, like, you know, all the Hoovervilles and all the, like, the, mm. the problems caused by the Depression. Um, 
And uh, she comes home and tells Ted that the Chronicle have a very big assignment for her. Yeah, she's super excited. And I think was she she's a bit, uh, she has a, yeah, a bounce in her step because uh, she was drinking champagne at the office party that was given in her honour, which is fantastic. I love her. We're <laughs> drinking, Julia. So she bops in home, buzzing off her head. She's like, lads, check this out. So it turns out uh, that the Chronicle want to send her to Germany um, because they want her to observe the Nazi government and its Fuhrer in action. So she's getting a, a foreign assignment, the one that she's been waiting for. So Ted is uh, slightly, well, not slightly, he's very concerned, um, especially as she will obviously have to, it's it's a long journey and um, she'll be away for a long time, but she's really determined to sort of show how terrible Hitler is to the world. Because um, probably she's the only journalist in, uh, in Berlin. <laughs> And he can't stand in the way of her, of her journalistic determination. Yeah, he's he, like he is happy for her, but he's he's worried about her too because he knows things are getting a little bit dicey over there. Say so the it's, least. it's it's fairly understandable concern. In fairness to to Ted, yes. So uh, she heads off, and Robert and Theo wait. Uh, you know nervously uh, for her return, and they get letters from her, and you know she she. Ted has to kind of explain to, to Robert in a way that won't totally traumatise a relatively <laughs> small child um, how bad it is. And I guess, you know, it does go into details of the horrors of anti-Semitism and, uh, and Lebensraum and, you know, the Nuremberg laws. And mm. I guess for a Sweet Valley book, that could be a way of some readers finding out about it. So I That's don't true. mind yeah. the history lesson. That's OK. Yeah, we, we'll allow them this. <laughs> yes. But uh, after a while, Julia's letters get a little... Little cagey. She's not as direct as before. Yeah, he knows that she doesn't really sound like herself and he's kind of wondering what's going on um, until I think she eventually says in a letter that she worries that her letters are being screened. Mm. So she says she must be discreet and she says they can't censor this, however. I love you, Ted. I love you, Robert, and I'll be home soon. And she says details of my travel plans to follow. So her next letter announces that she's coming home soon, but it's been really heavily censored. So, um... She, Ted realizes that she she must be um, she must be under you know the Nazis have their eye on her basically yes so they circle the date of her return on the calendar May sixth they head to Lakehurst New Jersey <laughs> Robert even has a fluffy white kitten with a blue bow around its neck as a present for his mother oh <laughs> and then the crowd gathers to await <laughs> the arrival of the Hindenburg. <laughs> And this is the point where we started texting each other, absolutely screeching. <laughs> the fucking Hindenburg. Oh my of god! Of course, Jesus Christ. Yeah, at this point, my notes just <laughs> just said fucking lol. Sorry, Julia, but that's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> my notes just say on the fucking Hindenburg. <laughs> By the way, I learned something myself. I did not realise that the Hindenburg at this stage had crossed the Atlantic more than 20 times. I, you know, same, because it does mention that, you know, it's been over and back a few times. And I was like, oh, well, you know what? Fair play to the Hindenburg. It was all going great until it absolutely wasn't. I think I, I thought it was kind of a Titanic situation. Same. Yeah, I don't know why I had that in my head. But yeah, it was just the air version of the Titanic yeah. uh, as far as I was concerned. <laughs> but also Maiden this voyage. Oh, my God. But also, yes, this is the detail that we left out of our cover description. <laughs> because in the, the top left corner of the 
Bodak cover is just the majestic sight of the Hindenburg on fire, hitting the ground oh. and two small figures running towards it. And oh my God, like, I don't, I don't think it's too soon to laugh about this because it was just so funny when it was like, here she comes now on the Hindenburg. Can't wait to see her. Oh, it's just a classic like, oh, you see the tickets for a character in a period drama's voyage and it's the Titanic. Like, <laughs> such heavy-handed playing on people's knowledge but oh, uh, it is kind of amazing um, so they turn up and they see the Hindenburg sail into view mm-hmm. and Ted is like a few minutes he'll have his wife in his arms again and then oh Jesus uh, yeah Ted thought he saw a flicker of something like lightning an instant later the Hindenburg burst into flames oh the humanity <laughs> I'm so oh god like I know it's bad that Julia's dead but yeah. like it is kind of hilarious that everybody if they're not dying in childbirth it has to be the most dramatic yes. death of all time <laughs> there better be at least one explosion and you know what yeah. she went out in style she did also they always have to be famous events yes, like it has to be any old car no. crash or something it has, it has to be the to... biggest earthquake ever yeah. it has to be the biggest air disaster ever <laughs> well Ted thrusts his sh- well no not thrust shoves his son who was just in his mother die horribly into the arms of a random stranger and runs <laughs> towards the flaming airship like it's I don't know is it full of hydrogen it's basically it it's is. not safe Ted it's no. um, you're not going to save her you've just left your traumatised child with a stranger as you ran away from him <laughs> and then the rule the runes of the Hindenburg explode oh my god yes it is Highly dramatic and I'm sorry, but it's funny. It is funny. It's just the fact that they had to choose that. (laughs) Well, we we cut to some time later, it's weeks or months, where a broken Ted gazes at the fire. He's hoping Robert won't won't have another nightmare that night. Maybe if he hadn't abandoned him to run towards a flaming airship, his nightmares wouldn't be quite so bad. Probably didn't help matters, yeah. So he looks at his last photo of Julia, looking very stylish. I'm sure this mm. will be in the outfits at the end. Oh, sure will. And he feels, um, you know, he feels angry at the Chronicle because he's like, they sent her to Germany and that's how he got killed and, or she got killed. We also learned her notebook was rescued from the flaming wounds. Very unlikely. I seem so unlikely. Oh, my God. But, you know, I'm, I'm glad for Ted that he has something to remember her by. Mm. So he uh, reads in her notebook where she writes about the horrors of, of Nazism and uh, the sort of the the uh, the, cr- the post Nuremberg laws sort of crushing mm. of um, all sort of Jewish civic life, and he he realizes her work was really important, and they, he just wishes that she was still there. Oh. So we cut to November nineteen thirty eight, and a horrified Ted is reading the reports of Kristallnacht and how German Jewish refugees are pouring into the country, and realizes that G- the what was a disaster. I think this is. Can mm. <laughs> you share what he thinks? Because it's like, really, Ted? Yeah, yeah. Uh, in a strange way, what was a disaster for the free world was a triumph for the journalist Julia Marks Wakefield. Her final story had been confirmed. At long last, she would indeed have broken the big one. Like, 
I'm sure all those refugees and all the people no. who are already being sent to concentration camps thought that, like, well, at least Julia Marks Wakefield broke the story. I'm so glad this random journalist got a fucking story in. Like, seriously. Also, it wasn't a scoop. Like, I did a lot of my, my college degree was on German exiled writers. And mm. uh, you could find this stuff out if you wanted. It didn't need Julia Marks Wakefield to, <laughs> to tell the world. Oh, God, Lord. Well, we cushed 1943 and Robert's in the Navy. Oh, he sure is the little scamp. Yeah, he's only 16, but he lies about his age so he can sign up and do his part. (gasps) And uh, Ted is now teaching at NYU. Um, And... uh, he he's he's not happy when his son tells him that he has lied about his age to join the armed forces. Mm-hmm. But Robert reminds him Julia would want him to be in the thick of the war action, fighting Nazis. And <laughs> uh, which actually he doesn't end up fighting Nazis. No, he's on the other front. Anyway, uh, he wants to sign. Uh, so Ted is like, um, well, you're too young, and your mother would wait till you were eighteen. And he's like, well, I haven't waited. Oh, yeah, he then reveals that he actually, he's already signed up. And I think Ted realises this and he's just like, oh, God, do you know the risk you're taking? Um, And yeah, he kind of, they kind of argue. They're out for a run, I think, at this point when he actually breaks the news to him. Um, And Ted just kind of runs away from his kid, uh, possibly crying. It's unconfirmed, but I I think it's safe to assume. (laughs) I might not say basically runs away crying. I mean, pretty much, yeah. It's suggested. (laughs) But the next day he apologises and uh, says that for for once he's a Wakefield who's learned from the family history. He thought of how his grandfather rejected his mother. Jesus, I'm glad someone did finally (laughs) learn a life lesson for fuck's sake, lads. All it takes is the death of a loved one and suddenly it's like, oh, you know what? Let's put our differences aside and just work it out, lads. (laughs) Well, he gives his son then the fabled ring. (gasps) Oh my God. Yes, it's still knocking around. So he he explains that it's the the Wakefield family crest and that the ring belonged to his English grandfather. Um, Yeah, and he says, you know, I I never met my grandfather, but apparently he was a strong man with strong opinions. And Robert's like, oh, in a word, stubborn. It's in the blood then. And they kind of have a laugh about how headstrong they both are. Yes. Ha ha ha. So he's like, well, I'm so stubborn. I'm going to survive the war with stubbornness. <laughs> it's like, okay, that's not how it works. But anyway. <laughs> he's a Wakefield. Oh, that's true. <laughs> you know? Positive thinking will get it through. <laughs> well, we cut to the South Pacific. Well, there was nothing I... like a day. <laughs> nothing in this world. I thought we got some South Pacific songs, but no. Oh, no. <laughs> this is not the musical. It sure isn't, no. Although, you know, it is kind of uh, a, a, a change uh, because I think it was in the last one we did have like a resistance spy uh, on the it other Wakefield side. In the Val de Douce. <laughs> exactly, yes. So, uh, you know, it's nice to change it up, try out a different front for the next book, see, see what happens down here. <laughs> yeah. Good point. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, he's basically a c- communications officer on the aircraft carrier Richmond and mm. the American Navy are about to launch an offensive against Japan in an attempt to push them back to the Philippines. And his job is kind of traumatic sometimes because he has to, like, take the reports of heavy losses. But then mm. he gets a new task. Yeah, so his um, captain tells him that there's um, a prisoner of war in one of the islands in the Philippines who's been giving them intel about uh, the Japanese in that particular area. Mm. Uh, And he realises like how how dangerous this is for her. But she's, um, yeah, she's known as Pacific Star. Yes. uh, Which is quite a glamorous nickname. (laughs) It is. And it's obviously a, a huge risk to, to broadcast, um, and but she manages to do so every week, very implausibly, it has to be said. Oh, 
massively implausible, yes. But you know what? It gives them a cute story. So I guess we'll just have to roll with it. I mean, it's pretty good. Me, I mean, is it me cute? Me kind of kind horrific? Of. Did the theatre well, roar well, Yeah, the wider picture is horrific, but their particular uh, situation is kind of cute, you know, yes. for the circumstances. <laughs> and I kind of like them. I mean, yet yeah. again, the Wakefields have way better, implausibly cool ancestors. Yeah, <laughs> yeah none of this adds up. <laughs> no, absolutely not. So we cut to the... POW camp in the island of Mindano, uh, where the Sassmouth Dames POWs banter about how long they've been there with their island prison. Uh, yeah, these girls are absolutely gas. Um, oh, I love them. They're kind of having a great time. <laughs> they really are. This tenko, this is not. Oh God, yeah, again, like an implausible prison camp, but like, you know, one of them has her blonde curls going on and I'm just like, how does anyone have blonde curls after a year and a half in a prisoner of war yes. camp? Come on now. But they're um, shaking like, ha 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 ha. Oh yeah, they're just giggling away. They're all quite like flirty gals, um, kind of complaining about spending the prime of their life in a prison camp. And one of them's like, oh, that's what you get for joining the army in order to meet men. Uh, and yeah, they're all just kind of having the crack with each other. I know. It says they had to laugh and joke about their situation. Mm. It was the only way they could bear it, which is fair enough. But they are yeah. very healthy and well-fed, considering True. like when you see real people who were in Japanese prison, women mm. who were in Japanese prisoner of war camps and they like all have berry berry and malnutrition and weigh about like three stone. Yeah. Um, but anyway, they're, they they not only are, uh, are are bantering it up, but they get to go out once a week. Yeah, uh, for wash day once a week, they get to go and wash all their clothes and sheets and stuff and do some laundry. Um, So they really look forward to it every week because it gets them out of their cell uh, to like an an outdoor courtyard. Oh, no, they already have the outdoor courtyard. Yeah, they They go go for a bob outside whenever. Yeah, so they get escorted down to the river once a week. That's it. Fucking hell. Uh, Yeah, so the holiday camp that they're staying With their, by the way, we're told their rations were generous, which I very much do not believe. Is like it's all very unlikely. But look, yeah, the uh, the crack with them is yeah that, that once a week they get this wash day where they're brought down to the river to wash all their stuff and they're kind of well they're not so much oh, left no, to their own devices. Building, sorry, they go to a neighbor building where they wash their clothes and then when the clothes are drying, they're allowed to stroll under the palm trees or swim in a nearby stream. It's fucking idyllic, to be honest. Oh, <laughs> that's kind of great. <laughs> which I do not think the reality was like no not at all uh, but yeah so yeah I think uh, so yeah our kind of our main gal here is Hannah who is an 18 year old uh, she signed up for the nurse as a nurse's assistant I think mm. um, during the war but yeah so so it's Hannah that we're that we're focusing on but yeah so the way that they've worked it out is that once a week on this laundry day one of the others will kind of start chatting to one of the guards which allows her to to go for a little stroll down the banks <laughs> of the stream to um dig up a radio that she has stashed away under a rock uh buried underground and uh this is where she does her little communique to uh to the Richmond right it is so uh, that day, she lifts her rock, finds a radio and calls through and she's shocked when an unfamiliar voice answers. Because, um, of course, Robert is now her, I don't know, handler isn't quite the right word, but uh, his code name is Sea Eagle. Yeah, so she, she signs on looking for Iron Man. Uh, but uh, when the unfamiliar voice pops up, she kind of panics and she's like, oh my God, who's picking up the signals? But then he, he reassures her that Sea Eagle is, is also on the, the crew of the Richmond and he's her new contact. So uh, so they kind of 
he asks how she's doing and she kind of reports whatever bits and pieces she's picked up that there's troop build up in the area and they're drilling a lot more. So uh, she kind of lets them know that they reckon they seem to think that this island is going to be the first point of attack when the American fleet reach mm. the Philippines. And she's like, yeah, this is kind of what it looks like. So and then they kind of seem to have a bit of time to just chat about each other yeah. and like, oh, how long have you been on the Richmond? Yeah. Don't, don't worry, <laughs> Hannah. Like, <laughs> no, it's fine. <laughs> but actually, again, they're, you know, kind of cute banter. Like she jokes, she signed up early, too early as well. And she wishes, yeah. says jokes that uh, if I know what was in store for me, I'd have stuck with high school and the cheerleading squad. And it's <laughs> like, don't, I lied about my age, don't spread it around. <laughs> but then she reveals she had a very personal reason for joining up. This is the thing, yeah. So her family are Jewish and they ha- she has uh, cousins in Austria uh, yeah. that they've received no word from in the past few years. So obviously they're really worried about them. Uh, so I suppose because it was it hit that close to home for her, she said, look, I just couldn't sit by and wait for news while I was safe and comfortable and other mm. people were out there fighting and dying. Uh, and she said a lot of the boys she knew from school were enlisting. So she decided to do the same. Yeah. So he kind of admires her moxie. Yes, as well he might. But mm. again, now we have been told that the Wakefields have a Jewish grandmother and mm-hmm. relatives, as we will find out, this is spoiler Ned (laughs) has like great aunts and uncles who are Holocaust survivors and this really smacks to me of them thinking like realising how waspy everything was and doing a kind of fucking JK Rowling where we're going to say like (laughs) oh you know oh we was gay all along and I was like oh actually you know they've got they're uh, they've got Jewish family they're not the uber wasps we have explicitly presented them in earlier books where we talked about their like their Swedish and English heritage and it's like you could have done this in the main books yeah true you know like everybody in the main books is completely waspy unless stated otherwise this is the thing yeah it's a big deal if they're not a wasp and like I suppose it probably got to the point where they were like coming up with the saga ideas and it was like, lads, this is going to be really boring if it's literally just white people all the way down. White <laughs> Anglo-Saxon Protestants all exactly. the way Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's um, a Mayflower and nothing so else. So now they've got Dancing Wind and <laughs> Hannah. Now, I don't know. I mean, any Jewish listeners, maybe you think that it would, maybe this would have been, if you were a child reader, it would have actually been kind of cool to uh, to see that the Wakefields uh, like had some sort of similar heritage to your own. Mm. But again, it's just one of these things where they just cram stuff in in this revisionist way in the in the in the sagas to sort of I don't know make them feel good about themselves. And to know it, it just it irritates me because the books are still so ludicrously <laughs> WSP. WASP. Yeah. And uh, yeah, seems a bit uh, too little too late. It kind of does. Especially when there's there's never any follow up to any of this, no. even in later books, really. Like it's never suggested that there's anything other than extremely white European people in yeah. their families. Or extremely white Protestants in the family. Exactly, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, so all their, their Austrian relatives are uh, never mentioned <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, there's a lot of them, as we will, as we will find out. Mm. Um, so yeah, there. Uh, she's she's really. Tana is really, you know, determined. She she doesn't regret it doing anything. But obviously, she's in dire. Uh, she's in a dire situation. It's pretty grim. Yeah. Seven months later, it's 1944, and Robert and his bunkmate Jason are fantasising about perfect breakfasts. Uh, as I guess you would if you were in the army eating shitty army food in a war. Yeah, that, that seems fair enough, yeah. <laughs> so Jason teases him about his girlfriend on the radio and asks him to put in a word for her with the other female POWs. Because <laughs> he and Hannah have become close. 
Yeah, they've really hit it off. Uh, so in I suppose once she's communicated whatever important information that she has for him, they end up kind of getting to know each other a bit and now they feel really close to each other and they know each other's real names because they've developed a little code between themselves oh. um, and they've chatted about, you know, their their families back home and what they want to do when the war was over. Um, and it's it is quite cute. Like he's yeah. kind of started to forget like that. Uh, sometimes he almost forgot her messages were considered crucial for strategic purposes because oh. they're kind of enjoying each other's chat so much. Yes. So it's uh, it's they've, they've basically they've folded love they over have. the airways. It's cute. But then uh, it tur- their captain tells them they're going on the offensive sooner than planned and they're about to capture the, an island and then the ship is hit and then it's hit by a kamikaze pilot and oh, Jesus. Jason yeah, is killed it's and, fucking chaos <laughs> it's very dramatic actually very um, so uh, Robert survives and uh, the Americans win the battle but Robert is just is obviously stunned and traumatised as he takes up his duty because he realises that he missed Hannah's call um because of, you know, being attacked by a kamikaze pilot. And he mm. wishes he could talk to her. But then they get some good news. The D-Day landings have taken place. Yeah, so it just feels like the end is possibly in sight, or at least it's, it's good news for once, which is which is kind of, you know, heartening for the crew. Yes. Well, back at the island, the Japanese soldiers are tense because they, they know the, the tide of the war is turning. Mm. And uh, Hannah is listening in to the guards because she's picked up more Japanese than they, than they realise so she can understand them. And they're talking about reinforcing the defences on their island. And she realises she has to tell Robert because the island is part of their, you know, of the Americans' plan. Yeah. And uh, she she doesn't know how to, how to do it. So... Um, one of the fellow POWs fakes a bad accident in the water and uh, somehow this works. So Hannah gets <laughs> to the radio and tells the news and just as she puts the radio away, a Japanese soldier appears and she's like, oh, I saw a little salamander and that's enough. <laughs> yeah, she f- somehow pulls it off and gets away with it. But uh, the guard kind of drags her back to the others and he's like, you're too much trouble. No more walks by the stream. So oh. this might be, uh, it's, it's quite the spanner in the works for her uh, her plans. Yes. Is this the last time she'll hear from Robert? <gasps> no. We cut to January 1945 and all the Japanese soldiers are very subdued and a lot of the, like the, the base is barely staffed at this stage. So the girls decide to ask if they go back to the stream. Soldiers basically don't give a fuck now. <laughs> They're just like, yeah, whatever, it's fine. <laughs> Off you go. They're kind of distracted. <laughs> so one of the girls, Pam, suggests escaping, but Debbie, a fellow POW, points to the barbed wire fence and is just like, no, we can't, we're stuck with them. Yeah. And Hannah manages to radio Robert and they have a touching reunion. Oh, yeah. Like it's, it's, it's been a few months since they've heard from each mm. other at this stage. So I suppose neither one has any idea if the other one is still alive, let alone anything else. Um, so they're really glad to hear from each other. Yes. Uh, and it, it is quite tearful and sweet that it, they're like, oh, you're OK. Oh, and you're OK, too. Oh, my God. Yes. They realise that they've fallen in love <laughs> over the wireless. Oh, <laughs> Well, over the next few months, Hannah manages to talk to him regularly because the guards really have gone off uh, duty. Oh, they've just given up, yeah. (laughs) And eventually he tells her that the Americans have seized Manila. So he's on his way to her. But before she hangs up, Debbie grabs her and tells her the American plans are... um, The Americans are going to bomb the the base and they have to return to the compound, but it's being evacuated. And a guard tells them to join a march uh, of troops up to a more defensible mountain base. And Hannah realises that she's lost the radio forever. 
Oh, no. Yeah, they're being dragged off into the jungle now. And she's like, oh, shit. Uh, mm. So, yeah, she realizes that uh, it's it's like a last stand for the, the troops, the Japanese troops. And Hannah's like, oh, God, they're going to fight to the death. So it's really getting quite uh, grim and real now. Really is. And a few days later, an exhausted Hannah is running through the jungle with the other POWs, prodded by rifles from the Japanese guards. And there's explosions, there's chaos, it's very mm. dramatic. And they and their guards are separated from the rest of the troops. And then soldiers charge towards them, pointing guns, and Hannah expects death. But no! No, because apparently she sees a pair of blue eyes and a no. smoke-blackened face and his hair corn yellow. And it's like, oh, thank God, a white man. <laughs> That's pretty much what it is. Like, it's like the, the, the whitest person alive. <laughs> For fuck's sake, lads, come on now. But yeah, so it's it's uh, it's United States Marines that have uh, that arrived on the scene. So they managed to get the girls out of there and now they're running to freedom. Um, so uh, soon they're ensconced on the USS Calhoun being treated mm-hmm. like queens. Yeah, they're uh, having a great time. All the soldiers are falling over themselves to uh, to give them presents and oh. chat to them and sit next to them at meals. Um, and the captain has given them their quarters to stay in. So they're they're having a nice comfy time. They've got new uniforms. They've got their hair cut. Mm. They're living it up on the USS Calhoun. <laughs> Debbie is making up for three years of flirting in one day. <laughs> Good for you, Debbie. Yeah. Live your best life. Yeah. Uh, by the way, we're told that Hannah wanted to get rid of her fashionably long curls and has a bob. This is 1944. Bobs weren't fashionable in 1944. Think of it like a 40s siren. Like Rita Hayworth. Oh yeah, it was like long curls were the, mm. the way to go. I mean, your hair was probably in the state, Hannah, having been in the prison well, of war. Also for true. Two yeah, years, split ends still. off the charts. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to be trivial and compare it to our lockdown hair. But <laughs> no, that's, that's genuinely offensive. Sorry. Oh God! Yeah. Um, but yes, she's she's now all trim, and she's finally arriving to meet Robert. Oh yeah, she's really nervous. Um, and she like the girls are kind of asking her how she's feeling about it if she's nervous, and she's like, "Oh God, I am." But like, you know, what if what if we're disappointed when we actually meet and we don't have anything to talk about? And like, it's all very reasonable kind of yeah. fears and worries that she has. But the girls reassure her. Uh, and Debbie's like, if you don't like him as much in person, there's plenty of other guys to choose from. <laughs> so Debbie's like, it's fine. Don't I want to book about it. Debbie shagging her way through the fleet. <laughs> that kind of lover. <laughs> well, as soon as she sees Robert, she recognises him instantly at a gangplank in Manila. And they basically just start uh, getting it on straight away. It's straight away, yeah. Do they even say anything? Like, Robert, Hannah, at last, straight to the shift. And it's like, you know what? Fair enough, lads. I know. Get <laughs> We're yours. both hot. Let's go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I like him. Yeah. So they walk along the beach listening to a big band music on a transistor. And it is very romantic. Um, they ask each other about future plans. And Hannah wants to go back to California to see her family, obviously, maybe even become a doctor. Robert says, I'll probably visit my father in New York. <laughs> like, I'm very generous of you. Wow, I guess I better go check in on the old man. Like, yeah, no shit, Robert. <laughs> um, but just as Robert's saying, but you know, I, I don't want to stay there forever. Maybe maybe I'd go to California too. Good and start booming. But uh, it's not an attack. No, it's a it's a celebration. Uh, and they can hear people cheering on all the ships. Every, every ship in the bay, everyone's waving their arms and tossing caps in the air. Yeah. So they realise that uh, there's been a surrender. And yeah, things are really looking up now because that's that's it then isn't it that was the last kind of bit of the war wasn't it yeah the, I mean uh, I guess the bombs dropped the Japanese surrender well well, Jesus yeah okay yeah. <laughs> there uh, is that yes. but yeah they're, uh, well, they realise they're going home so they're yeah. just jubilant and delighted and in fact Robert uh, has an idea of how to celebrate they could get the captain to marry them there and then hooray <laughs> 
Uh, and Hannah says yes. And of course, they seal their engagement with a kiss. Oh. And then we cut. Oh, finally. <laughs> two. Sweet Valley, California. Oh my God. Hell yeah, it's happening. (laughs) (laughs) And Hannah has just had baby Ned. Well, there he is. Finally, we've been calling them all Ned all the way along. (laughs) Now it actually is Ned for real this time. (laughs) And in yet another reiteration of the book's message that uh, having children is the sole function of life. uh, (laughs) Hannah thinks this is what life is all about. The continuity of generations. Parents loving and caring for children so they can grow up and have children of their own. (laughs) Well, Jesus, Anna, me and you better just toss ourselves off a fucking cliff. (laughs) (laughs) We're just wasting everyone's time here. (laughs) Our lives are pointless. We're going to stop this podcast right now. Goodbye, everybody. Forget about it. (laughs) We don't know what we were thinking. (laughs) We'll just stick around to finish this book, but then that's it. (laughs) Well, Hannah's mother, Lisa, is uh, very happy that both Hannah and her brother, Sam, have moved nearby. And Sam uh, is is there with his wife, Ruth, and baby Rachel, who will apparently be Ned's kindred spirit even though she doesn't ever crop up in the books oh god yeah <laughs> and uh, yeah um, Hannah asks about her uncle Carl and Aunt Bertha from uh, who, from Austria and mm. it turns out that they were all sent to Auschwitz and Carl and his wife survived but all Hannah's cousins were murdered and uh, so you know this is pretty hard hitting that Lisa says the saddest thing is that Carl and Aunt Bertha will grow up with their own kids. Fucking hell, like, come on. What? <laughs> their nieces and nephews have been murdered, Lisa. Oh, yeah, <sighs> anyway. very strange. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, now it's in the canon that the Wakefields have fairly close relatives who are Holocaust survivors. And the, uh, yeah, Hannah... Uh, says that this sort of reminds her how lucky she is. They make a toast to peace and prosperity and Rachel and Ned, the little cousins, throw chocolate at each other um, because they're going to be friends for life, though not <laughs> allegedly that long. <laughs> <laughs> well, we cut, cut to the 60s, baby. Oh, hell yeah. Swing in Sweet Valley. <laughs> <laughs> It's just the early 60s because I guess they're keeping the Ned dates kind of vague at this stage. Oh, very much. Yeah, at this stage they still, yeah, because at first it was very pinpointed like like, months and everything and this year and this year and now it's like early 1960s. We're not tying it to any particular year. (laughs) Don't ask any more questions. (laughs) Well, Rachel Weiss is standing up to a sleazy guy in school and who could that guy be? Why, it's Hank Patman. (laughs) It sure is. And uh, he's a, she's, yeah, he's just being revolting, as you can imagine. And yeah. he says, I like a girl who speaks for herself. And she says, I like a guy who actually listens when a girl speaks. Don't you ever take no for an answer, Hank? Oh, my God. Good for you, Rachel. I swear, like, I really wish she was in the books. Oh, I love her. Properly, because she's fucking great. Yeah. And uh, yeah, maybe that's why she left Sweet Valley. <laughs> she's too cool for Sweet Valley. She's like, lads, I'm out of here. You're all losers. <laughs> she really is. See, they have so, like her and Julia, like they've, and Hannah, they have so many relations who are just too cool for Sweet Valley. And <laughs> no wonder that uh, they're never mentioned in any of the yeah. real books. <laughs> so, um, yeah, she doesn't understand why he likes her because he goes for debutantes. And she, uh, but she's trying to head off to meet her cousin Ned and their friend Seth. But Ned, Hank I'm trying I'm trying to so many characters in this stage with vaguely similar names Ned um, 
is uh, is waiting for her, but Hank tries to stop her and grabs her arm. But who should cr- turn up to save the day? Oh, uh, yeah, well, it's it's Ned, isn't it? Yes, yeah, he's, it is. Yeah, he comes along and yes, it's Leopard Patman. And uh, yeah, he's got no time for Hank either. So the, it's kind of, yeah, it's just establishing Hank as like the antagonist for this bit of it. Because uh, yeah. he is basically just 60s Bruce. <laughs> yes, exactly. And also they're all in the student council um, and uh, they're they're all planning a dance and they do love admin. Because they give they out about do. Hank and his basic friends wanting stupid loser music for their dance. It's, it's a hereditary trait, yeah. <laughs> the love of admin. It really is. <laughs> and on the way home from the beach, their trip to the beach, they stop at a roadside fruit stand and Ned strikes up a chat with a, there's a, with a teenage boy about their age who's working there. Anyway, he strikes up the conversation in Spanish. So it is perfectly normal for the, for a Sweet Valley non-Spanish-speaking uh, you know, a non-first language Spanish-speaking uh, resident to speak Spanish. Rosa's lie. <laughs> yes, I was thinking of that scene in Rosa's lie as well, all through this. I was like, see, it's not a big fucking deal to just speak Spanish to somebody because you're living in Southern California for fuck's sake. <laughs> what are you doing not learning Spanish? <laughs> well, Ned realises that he's never seen this kid Salvador in their school and um, his friend points out that, well, his parents probably need the money he makes from, from working so he can't go to mm. school. And when he tells his parents about this, again, see, there's, there is more politics in this book, which I do like. He rightly thinks it's the system that's wrong and not the individuals. He's not like blaming the parents for not letting their kid go yeah. to school. He's basically, he does say it's not right that the migrants have so little money. They have to have their kids working. Hmm. And Robert agrees that it's wrong Um when he tells his parents about this because the migrants ki- workers kids can't go to public school because they don't count as residents even though they can travel to work yeah so Ned decides the student council should stand up for this but who should stand in his way oh fucking Hank again of course uh, yeah they they basically they need a, a unanimous decision to endorse this view and uh, this petition and the like, Hank and his lackeys won't do it so they can't put the weight of the student council behind it. And little Republican Hank says <laughs> that these people's parents don't contribute, unlike his. Ugh, yeah, like Hank is the worst. Um, yeah. But yeah, this whole kind of school days bit is really just to kind of establish him and Hank just being at odds. And it also kind of gets uh, shows Ned getting his like interest in kind of civil rights and, yeah. you know, doing the right thing for people and getting involved in social yeah. causes as well. Exactly. He vows to fight for justice. And he says, yes. if you could reach people, you could teach people. Someday things will be different. Yeah. <laughs> and then we cut to college. <laughs> yes, campus of the College of Southern California. So maybe... Yeah. Uh, Sweet Valley University hasn't been established yet. I don't know. They get a bit vague with college names they as well do. at some point. And like in early books, it's like Stephen was in college in a nearby college. Don't worry about it. I think he's in, they call it Sweet Valley College then. Oh, you're right. And yeah. then when the SVU books come along, it gets upgraded SVU. to university. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, uh, yeah, Rachel is there with her roommates, Judy and Barbara. They're all decked out in tie-dye. They're... Oh my God, it is tie-dye and tapestries as far as the eye can see oh. in this dorm room. And I love it. There's <laughs> a lot of outfits, which I'm sure you will share with us. But um, <laughs> G- uh, their Judy is going to a SPAN meeting tonight, which I guess is their version of uh, Students for Democratic Society. It's called Students for Progressive Action Now. Ooh, Yeah. Um, so Rachel's loving college and it's radical ways she's she's going to go to a spam meeting she says well her cousin Ned will probably be there and Barbara says then she'll come too anything to catch a glimpse of the cutest grooviest guy on campus <laughs> 
fantastic. <laughs> well, Rachel jokes she like good luck trying to not with Ned because his whole life is devoted to causes. Yes, he's yeah, he's quite the uh, he's he's really just focused on on yeah causes and doing the right thing and doesn't seem to have much time for dating. Mm. It is quite depressing that he ends up just doing weird sort of vague property law later on. <laughs> Whatever the fuck he's doing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, well, then another girl from their dorm comes in and uh, Becky Foster. At least that's how they used to know her. Oh, wow. Yes, Becky has had quite the makeover <laughs> uh, and we will get into her outfit oh, uh, yes. afterwards. But yeah, uh, Rachel is looking at her in amazement because Becky was a real kind of uptight debutante kind of girl uh, who tried to be friendly with her at first when she thought that Rachel would give her an in with Ned because mm. she fancied him. But Rachel obviously didn't have any time for that. So Becky just kind of dropped her. But uh, but now Becky's waltzing in and uh, yeah, Rachel's wondering when Becky became a flower child. Oh, because she has gone full on cartoon hippie and has said, uh, don't call me Becky. My name is Rainbow now. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, she also announces that uh, she has, quote, native American blood and I'm 116th Indian. And because of my Indian heritage, I feel like I'm a prison of, prism of personality with many hidden colours and talents. Oh God. Yeah. Rachel is kind of listening to this and she's just like, she'd never heard such garbage. So she's just absolutely not having this at all. She's like, no, I know what this bitch is like and I'm not buying this for a second. Also, I love that Rachel and her friends think this is hilarious. But yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, Rainbow asks, as we will now call her, uh, if Rachel's cousin will be at the meeting because she herself is one of the SPAN coordinators and they're all like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah it's it's quite confusing I suppose <laughs> seeing as they had known Becky before and now they're yeah. just like literally what is going on here this mm. is really weird so but, Barbara uh, doesn't buy the transformation but Judy mm. and Rachel think maybe people could change yeah so the spam meeting is happening happening out in the college lawn and Ned turns up in a, quite the ensemble oh my god <laughs> Ned <laughs> well he finds Rachel and says what's shaking Rachel oh my god amazing <laughs> I have a sister called Rachel, so this is how I'm going to greet her from now on. You should, please yeah. do. <laughs> and Ned was rapping with some fellow free law students about starting an alternative law society. Uh, what could have been, Ned? What could have been if you'd stayed uh, on this path? Imagine. <laughs> so Rainbow takes to the floor and she gives an introductory speech. And Ned recognises her from his pre-law class. And Rachel's like, well, yeah, you know, she's like the super conservative Judge Foster's daughter. Um, but Ned is really impressed by Rainbow's words. Yeah, he kind of re- he can't believe he hadn't noticed her before, uh, and he's he's very impressed by her and uh, thinks she's great. And I suppose he's really impressed by the group itself. Um, and you know, pleased that it's going to turn out to be a, a group with spirit and substance. Um, so he's kind of wondering why Rachel is being so skeptical about Rainbow. Mm. But he's like, you know, why 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 aren't you into this? He's like, Rainbow's really on your wavelength. Uh, women's issues seem to be her top priority. But Rachel is just still unconvinced. She's like, oh, I absolutely doubt that. Yes, so she kind of she kind of pushes Ned towards Rainbow. She's like, oh, you should try talking to Becky. Uh, Rainbow after the meeting. Think thinking that once Ned talks to her, he'll yeah. realise what a fake she is. But uh, no, this backfires because they start talking about their uh, their current uh, law class and she's like, oh yeah, you've got some, um, you know, I've seen you in uh, such and such a lecture. We're working on this paper together. Um, and Ned is charmed even when she goes on absolute 
exoticizing bullshit about, uh, he says, maybe it's my Native American ancestry. <laughs> I feel somehow connected to the earth and its creatures. Oh God, Rainbow is such a chancer. <laughs> she really is. Because she's like, oh, my great, great grandmother was uh, Af- uh, Awaswan Indian. And she's like, oh, I'm a descendant of the Awaswans too. And they're like, oh. Um, and Ned is totally smitten and suggests they meet later. And she's like, yeah, what did you uh, bring some uh, books so we could discuss that current class assignment. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> so on Friday morning, a groggy Rachel heads to the bathroom. By the way, this is why I'm glad I didn't have co- rooms in college because oh, it just, just sounds horrendous. Yeah. Sharing a bathroom <laughs> with like 30 people. Um, so she meets Rainbow who bangs on about what an amazing night she had with Ned the night before. Oh God, yeah. So obviously Rachel had hoped that once once they got chatting that he'd that Ned would kind of suss her out, but unfortunately the opposite has happened. So she's just like, ah, oh, damn it. Um, yeah. So she's uh, Rainbow's like, you know, I've I've danced for hours barefoot <laughs> under the stars with your very own cousin Ned Wakefield. I've been trying to catch his eye since the first day of school. And it looks like I finally got him. Oh, <laughs> well, Rachel's like, oh yeah, and uh, yeah. Apparently, um, Rachel says that she's uh, she's. She's basically had her her item for since this legal process class and basically brags that she's using Ned to help her get into the top law school in the country. He seems like the most you know suitable helpmeet. Oh no, yeah. So obviously Rachel's disgusted by this and can't believe that she's being so mercenary. Mm. Uh, Rainbow's like, well, Ned, Ned's happy, so who cares? So Rachel realizes she has to warn him. Yeah. Later, she finds Ned and he waxes lyrical about the last night, about last night and how he and Rainbow talked about everything under the sun and moon. <laughs> oh, Ned, he's so enraptured by this bitch. Yeah, he says they're soulmates. <laughs> yeah. And when Rachel tries to tell him what Rainbow used to be like, he's disappointed by her judginess. And he says that, like, the fact that she comes from this conservative background makes him admire her even, her even more because she's, like, standing up to her conservative roots. And mm. he just wishes Rachel would be happy for Oh, yeah. Unfortunately for Rachel, it just comes off as her being like bitter and jealous or whatever. Mm, but yeah. Uh, yeah, so Ned just isn't isn't listening to her at all. So two weeks later, Ned and Rainbow are basically being nauseating. And uh, he's like, are you sure going steady isn't too old fashioned for you? It's not the hip way to handle relationships these days. Seems like no one sticks with an old man or an old lady for more than a couple of days. <laughs> Yes, but uh, Rainbow assures him that she's uh, not into the love the one you're with stuff. <laughs> unless, of course, I happen to be with you. <laughs> and then she's like, by the way, can you just help me with this paper I'm writing? And he's like, no, uh, no, I have to go to the rally. And of course, she doesn't even know which rally. Oh, God. yeah. She seems to have kind of stopped putting any effort into uh, anything <laughs> other than the aesthetics of her hippie ways. Mm. So, yeah, he tells it that there's a rally going on to uh, to persuade the school administration to officially denounce the US rule in Southeast Asia. He's like, everybody's talking about it. And she's like, oh, yeah, that rally. Um, so he convinces her to to come along to it. He's like, you know, what? I'll, I'll meet you there later because you round up the girls in your dorm. I'll get the, guy, the guys from mine. And uh, yeah, I'll see you there. Yeah. So they turn up at the rally and it's very busy. Uh, the chants are quite tame. They just say US out of Southeast Asia, which isn't quite like, hey, hey, LBJ, how many kids did you kill today? Guess <laughs> <laughs> we'll take the political activism where we can get it. I mean, look, it's <laughs> they're doing their best. <laughs> so the college president fears and says he won't negotiate with the mob. And then we get some police brutality. I, I was kind of, yeah, surprised that they went for it because like, yeah, fair. The uh, the fucking cops turn up and wreck everything, obviously. They're kind of like yelling people to clear the steps. Uh, but then, of course, the students are so packed in that some are trying to leave. Some don't know what's going on. It's all very confusing. Oh. And then they get fucking tear gassed. Yeah. 
And uh, then now they do say that the uh, poli- that the a protester when it starts getting physically violent as well as the tear gas tear gas is physical violence but you know what I mean Um, when punches and uh, blows start flying it's an angry protester lashed down at a cop Mm. Um, and basically all hell breaks loose and they're bundled into a cell or bundled into a police van Yes, exactly. And Rainbow is absolutely furious. She's like, I wasn't doing anything wrong. Take these handcuffs off me. And she is furious with Ned. Uh, and he's kind of surprised because she's just like, what? I'm going to jail. She's like, I'm not spending a minute in jail, much less a night. Uh, and Ned is like, don't worry, you know, I'll be with you and I'll make sure you're safe. And then she's just like, you're the one who got me into this mess in the first place, dragging me to that stupid rally. So the mask is starting to slip now with Rainbow. Oh, yeah. Now that things are getting real and he's kind of starting to realise, whoa, what is going on here? Who is this girl? Yeah, she's like, this is what I get out for, 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 this is what I get for hanging out with long-haired hippie fanatics. Most of whom haven't taken a bath in a month. And he's like, what? Like, don't you believe in span? And he's like, yeah, that's a bunch of baloney. Oh, she gets a bit OTG. You're suckers to think you're going to change anything with your little marches and rallies. <laughs> yeah, so Ned is completely baffled by this. He's like, I don't get it. I thought we shared something. I thought, you know, we cared about the same things. I thought you cared about me, all this. And she's like, well, you thought wrong. I thought wrong. I thought it would be cool to hang out with a guy like you. Uh, she's like, she laughed harshly. And let me assure you, you've shown me a good time. <laughs> she has got OTG. She kind of has. <laughs> We've decided. Yeah. We've got to get it in somewhere in the saga. Come on. You know, if it's a lesser spotted hippie OTG, we will make it work. <laughs> Wow, what a combo. So, uh, yeah, she's she, he's like, you you know, you, you've just been playing with me. You've led me on. She's like, well, you saw what you wanted to see. You didn't have to try very hard. And he's like, mm, fair enough. So at the station, her conservative judge dad gets her out in 10 minutes while poor old Ned is stuck in the cell and he decides in future he's just going to concentrate on his activism. <gasps> yeah, he's done with love. Yes. So we cut to, a, I guess it's a year later, and Rachel has just come back from spending a year in Vienna researching the pre-war Jewish community. Uh, as part of her for her thesis of uh, of which her father and Aunt Hannah's relatives had been a part. Yeah, so, Rachel's so fucking cool. Um, she is. Yeah. Like, <laughs> well, why is she and her and her great research about their relatives in the pre-war Aust- uh, Jewish community of Vienna not ever mentioned? Oh, I know it's terrible. Um, oh God, yeah. She uh, she kind of tries to to chat with Ned, and she's like, you know, uh, oh yeah. She kind of asks, is he is he seeing anybody or anything like that? But uh, Ned is like, oh, you know, I've I'm I'm <laughs> I've had enough of you trying to fix me up with your roommates. So she's like, oh, look, fine. If you're determined to be a lone wolf, I'm not going to be able to change you. Yep, because uh, apparently she's fallen in love with an American guy called Paul uh, in Vienna, and now he's in UCLA. She's happy as a clam. Yeah. Though, <laughs> um, so, like again, Rachel and Paul, that looks like they're setting it up for future books. Never, never mentioned nope. any of they to have kids. Does she have cousins on that side? Like, no, all the cousins we ever hear about are Alice's. Um, so mm. this extended Wakefield family <laughs> is conspicuous by its absence. Very much so. <laughs> well, later, Ned goes surfing and he ponders his future because he's in his final year of college. So he's going to have to choose which law school he goes to. But then what should he see? <gasps> Why, it's a stunning blonde. <gasps> She's throwing stones in the water and she goes for a swim, but then he realises she's caught in the undertow. 
oh no so yes he has to swim out and save her and of course it all reflects an earlier scene in the book uh, back on a steamer ship making a transatlantic crossing oh yes how <laughs> strangely familiar both from the last time we read this exact scene in the earlier yes. book and uh, Hank runs up to them and we get a most stupid fucking retcon because obviously in the last book I don't remember the details of it but obviously in the last book Ned and Hank had never met before so they introduced themselves to each other and um in this, uh, Ned int- gives introduces himself to Hank just to have the opportunity to say tell Alice what his name is, and <laughs> Hank is like, "Right, I'll go along with this." And says Hank Patman, but it's clear that they were just like, "Oh shit, we've already we had already set it up that Hank and yes. Ned met." at this moment and now we've given them a sort of hated backstory but I guess we'll have to clumsily work that in yeah that's it we've already written this scene from one side and now we have to make it make sense from this side (laughs) (laughs) so uh, yeah uh, Ned and Alice or Hank and Alice go away but there is a little moment between Ned and Alice as they lock eyes and Ned is smitten oh so a few days later, Ned and Alice bump into each other in the library and she's, um, yes, she's an art major, of course. Mm-hmm. Teacher, uh, interior designer extraordinaire. <laughs> and they bond over their love of Dylan. But she has to go to meet Hank at a span meeting. Well, this is it. I suppose we kind of have uh, mirroring storylines yeah, here yes. because we remember from the last book that like her, like Hank was kind of playing along with all his kind of interest in social justice yes. and civil liberties and stuff and like helping out at the, the rallies and stuff when really it was all just bullshit to just lock Alice down. Whereas this was kind of the same thing that had happened uh, to Ned now with Becky slash Rainbow. Yes. Uh, so they, um, they're, they've, they've, they've got a, they've got a connection, but she's still with Hank mm. and, um, when uh, when later on he meets Rachel and tells her all about his love for Alice and she's like, well, why don't you just declare your love, not give hmm. up? And Alice comes into the coffee shop they're in and Rachel's like, okay, just go and ask her out. And he returns crestfallen and reveals Ned and... Or, I keep, I'm, why am I getting everybody's name mixed up? By the way, this is like our fourth attempt to record this episode. So. <laughs> My brain is melted. We're basically delirious at this stage. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. He, uh, he returns back with some shocking news. Yeah, so he has discovered that uh, Alice and Hank are engaged. <gasps> so uh, he's devastated and uh, Rachel feels bad for him. Oh. So Ned heads back to his parents' house and he shoots some hoops with Robert, who says that, look, he, he and Hala will support Ned, whatever they do. And uh, Ned says he feels lost. And it does remind me of a bit in the original Hairspray where Divine says... It's the times, Wilbur. They were changing. Something's <laughs> blown in the wind. Because <laughs> it's all like, oh, things are different now. Yeah. You know, you kids, like, we don't, us kids don't know what we're doing. The world is unsettled. We don't know where <laughs> to go next. This crazy decade is unsettling everybody. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and um, Rob, Robert tells Ned about how all the Wakefields have been on journeys of some kind. And then he basically recaps the entire book. Pretty much, yeah. Uh, yeah, it gives him the, the whole spiel. And it's like, oh, eventually ending up with, um, yeah, Theodore Wakefield, the great grandfather. Wasn't he the one who came over from England? It's yeah. like, yes, we've all been reading the same book, yeah. lads. Come on now. <laughs> but then he gives Ned a precious object. It's the ring. <gasps> it's back. <laughs> and Ned feels comforted that he's not the only Wakefield whose life is a mess, basically. <laughs> This is it, yes, like generations of Wakefields before him. He's about to embark on his own personal journey of self-discovery. 
So he decides he's going to go off around the world. He's going to go over to exotic Wakefield in Yorkshire. <laughs> Trace his roots. Yeah. And then he's going to hitchhike around uh, around Europe and maybe even Asia. And mm. uh, good for him. My mother yeah. did a lot of hitchhike from Paris to Istanbul back in the 60s. So fair cool. play, Ned. And he, uh, he listens to Blowing in the Wind as he packs because he knows today is Alice's wedding day. Oh. And he's... He, he rang her earlier and left a message wishing her luck and saying he'll always be there if, he, if she needs him and he'll never forget her. But then, what should he hear? He hears someone calling him. He thinks he's kind of hallucinating, I think, at first, or that it's just somebody looking for someone else in the house. But he's just like, no, I'm just obsessed with Alice. That's what it is. But, uh, but then, yeah, he realises that Alice is outside the house <gasps> in her wedding dress. Barefoot. Oh my God. Because <laughs> she's a hippie at heart, don't you know? She doesn't want to marry that stuffy society guy. <laughs> so he runs out, embraces her. And she said that, you know, you said to call if you, to call you me or call you if, if I ever needed you. And I do need you. And he's like, well, I need you too. And they kiss. And we cut to the wedding. It's all very romantic. Rachel is the bridesmaid. I guess that's the last you'll ever be seen in the canon. <laughs> Yeah, what happened to Rachel? We need answers. Ned's kindred spirit cousin. <laughs> and after the ceremony, Alice notices that Ned is wearing another ring as well as his wedding ring. Yes, so he tells her about uh, yeah the Wakefield ring. <gasps> yep, yeah, uh, and she's like, oh, it looks exactly like this precious family rose that's been passed <gasps> oh down to generations. Goodness. And it's like, is this a coincidence or could it be? And then somebody comes in and says, oh, you're going to miss your flight. So... The, the moment is lost to discover that they are connected through time. <laughs> and all their ancestors have like weirdly been kind of creepily involved all the way down. <laughs> but not to the level that any of it is actually incest. Thank fuck for that. <laughs> Just almost. Yeah. Oh, very much almost. <laughs> well, this is the beginning of their greatest adventure yet. Then we get frankly sickening epilogue. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, we, we're, we're cutting to yeah epilogue, unspecified time, but we know that uh, they have a little toddler son uh, named Stephen. Uh, Ned comes home with the good news that he's been named a partner at the firm. Uh, and it's all very exciting. Alice is working part time as a graphic designer, apparently, mm. in Sweet Valley. And it's like, well, you know what? Good for you, Alice. But also that's an entirely different job to interior <laughs> designer. But maybe she retrained in the yeah. meantime. Who knows? I hope you feel <laughs> a connection with Alice there. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so uh, or Ned isn't the only one with news because uh, Alice announces that she was at the doctor that day and thinks, you know, nothing's wrong, uh, reassures him when he worries and says, you know, I think it's absolutely right that Stephen should have a little brother or sister. <gasps> or two sisters. <gasps> oh my God. Um, so yeah, they wonder what their, uh, what this child would be like and they uh, say, they basically go back to all the ancestors in both books because Alice is like, <laughs> yes, I wonder if she'll be a brave pioneer like Alice Larson or a spooky tomboy like Jessamine who was a bareback rider in a circus and then ran a hotel in turn of the century, San Francisco. <laughs> <laughs> and then like a great aunt Amanda and then uh, Ned is like, we have great women in my family too, starting with my mother, Hannah, and then going back to my great-great-grandmother, Dancing Wind. Oh my God. Yes. So uh, yeah, Alice is like, well, I suppose it's okay. It's okay if our daughter takes after them or looks like them. Except she will uh, look exactly like you, Alice. Well, well this is the thing. Yeah. <laughs> Ned is like, I'd be happiest of all if she or he takes after you. And Alice knows that boy or girl, this new baby would make their little family complete. The future looks golden for the Wakefields of Sweet Valley. Holy shit. If only they knew. <laughs> <laughs> 
that's the end of the Sweet Valley Saga. Oh my God, we did it. We, we made it. it. That was quite the journey. Wow, you guys. Got- what a cast of characters. Oh my Lord. Well, as well as all those uh, astonishing characters, do we have stats and outfits? Oh my God, we have so many of everything. There's so much of everything all of the time. Continue. Okay, uh, so let's see. Uh, okay, for something more straightforward, in the like the 1920s uh-huh. section of storytelling, uh, the word swell appeared six times, which was fantastic. Whoa! Like uh, loved that. Uh, then, okay, so the Wakefield men, because, you know, they're all basically the same guy all the way true, down. True. Uh, their brown eyes are mentioned 11 times. Whoa! Uh, and Whoa, their dark, dark, it's a lot of brown eyes, yeah. <laughs> the, um, and their dark slash brown hair is mentioned six times. Oh, and it's funny because even though this is a book about Ned's side of the family, the like Alice Larson to Alice Robertson blondness pipeline, there's just no stopping it. There were 16 mentions of blondness uh, for like Alice's side of the family. So that's like Alice Larson, the, the Swedish immigrant. Yeah. We've got uh, Alice Robertson, the cool college chick. That also includes uh, Jessamine and then Sam and Amanda. Uh, so like... All that, like, Alice's side of the family blondness. Yeah, 16 mentions for that all together. 16 uh, fucking hell. So much, like, uh, Alice, uh, as in, I've got, like, OG Alice and Mam Alice. So, like, Mam <laughs> Alice, her blondness was mentioned seven <laughs> times in all of that. So, like, straight away, what? she got the most. And she was, like, in the least amount. I think she had uh, about two lines. This is it. Her blue-green eyes were mentioned five times, which is more than anything she's even said in the book. Um, and then there's like assorted non-Larson blondness. It comes up seven times. That's on the Wakefield side with Sarah Wakefield and Julia. Um, oh my God. It's so much blondness. <laughs> I was just losing my mind eventually. And my notes just stopped making sense. But yeah, a lot of blondness, you guys. <laughs> so much. Like basically all the women on the Wakefield side, on Ned's side, like yeah, yeah. were pretty much blonde. Hannah had brown hair all right. But other than Did that, she, other than her in Dancing Wind. Oh, sorry. It was Auburn. You're yeah. right. Yes. And obviously Dancing Wind uh, had dark hair too, yeah. but like Julia, super blonde, Sarah yeah. Wakefield, dark blonde, but still blonde. Uh, yeah, a lot of blondes. Oh my God. So much. So, so much. <laughs> and outfits. Oh my God. Okay. Yes. So let's see. Oh, so many. Uh, Alice Larson, uh, back on the steamship, was wearing a dark blue dress with a high ruffled neck uh, and uh, a cream coloured bonnet. And it's like, to be fair, that dress does actually sound like something Elizabeth would wear. <laughs> love some uh, ruffles and high necks Uh, there is a guy that we kind of hear about in passing fantastically in uh, the Black Cat Cafe uh, when Ted is working tables uh, as a waiter he uh, delivers drinks and pockets a generous tip handed to him by a man in a cream coloured suit and (gasps) diamond cufflinks oh Stunning work by that man. Uh, we meet Tina Stark. She is basically dressed like Jessica Rabbit. She's wearing a red sequined yes. dress, slit at the side, exposing slim crossed ankles and gold buckle high heels. So good for you, babe. You sound amazing. Uh, what else do we have? We have Ted then in his new suit when he's heading off to college to be a college man. He's wearing um, a new baggy summer weight suit that he'd bought that day. He's got his hat tipped back on his head, a loosely knotted necktie flipped over one shoulder. Oh, of course he does. <laughs> He's quite a guy. Uh, Stella, or flapper girl, uh, who basically had every 1920s cliche dumped over her head. She sure is did. in a deep green beaded flapper dress that set off her big emerald eyes and a feather and jewel band <laughs> circled her short oh, auburn curls. Fantastic work. It is fantastic. By Stella. 
Uh, what else did we have? Oh my God. Uh, so many Julia, benefits. who uh, we're looking at a photo of her at this stage after the uh, Hindenburg disaster. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the photo that uh, the Ted is looking at lovingly has her wearing a navy suit, a square shouldered jacket belted snugly at her slender waist, her trim skirt showing off her shapely legs. <laughs> she's quite a dame. <laughs> oh, she sure is. Uh, and then lastly, we have our hippie kids. Oh uh, yeah, we do. Oh my God. Okay, so where were we with this now? We have Becky slash Rainbow turning up in a gauzy Indian print cotton skirt jingling with tiny bells. (laughs) Oh my God. It's amazing. Over her long flowing skirt, she's wearing an embroidered peasant blouse. Around her neck were strings of iridescent beads and matching earrings dangled from her lobes. Her glossy black hair fell loose to her shoulders. Her feet were bare, of course. course. (laughs) (laughs) And then Ned uh, at one of the span meetings turns up... uh, Wearing a tie-dyed t-shirt and cut-offs. <laughs> but not only that, he wore his shoulder-length brown hair in a ponytail. Oh, no, Ned. No, 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 no. No. And that's what's up. Oh, what a vision. Quite. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, well, listeners, that was truly a wild ride. We have finished the Sweet Valley sagas. They're all done. They didn't find oh out God. Wilkins one. We didn't find out if Fist of Thunder was was the ancestor of Fist of Fury. I think we've decided that's our own headcanon now at this stage. Oh my God, it has to be. Um, so, you know, we always love hearing from you and we, we do want to know what you thought of this episode. Were you as excited by it as us? Uh, <laughs> what do you think of their, of their frankly clumsy attempts at uh, retroactive um, diversity uh, do you th- maybe, are we being too harsh I don't know um, yeah. maybe it's just good to see some diversity in a Sweet Valley line at some point you know yes I mean we did call Pipey Dalpha a wasp's nest the other week so you know <laughs> that was accurate though okay. in fairness well, or was it apparently <laughs> who knows um, so do let us know uh, what you thought. Uh, we love hearing from you. You can get in touch with us on Twitter at SVH Podcast. You can send us an email at svhpodcast at gmail.com. And of course, we are on Instagram too at SVH Podcast. And we, uh, yeah, we've had a lot of response from you over the last, uh, since our last episode when we explored kidnapped by the cult oh my god that was such fun oh my god like you could tell I'd say you could probably tell how relieved we were to do a fun book after a run of duds let's be honest oh fucking hell Uh, yes Monarchy314 made the very good point about the discussion about Cara moving to London mind me the twins visit London during the werewolf story arc one of my favourites oh my god and uh, (laughs) they don't bother trying to contact Cara while they're there even though it isn't actually like the werewolf one insanely is quite soon like it's quite soon after Margot. That's true, actually. Yeah, it's quite early in the the post one hundred books. Mm. Uh, yes, OGW nostalgia said, uh, quoted Elizabeth going a cult in Sweet Valley. Yeah, Elizabeth, you dumb bitch. The whole town of Sweet Valley is a cult. <laughs> That's such a good point. Accurate and also hilarious. Uh, <laughs> um, Newsome Nihon said, I swear the number of times these books have a guy be creepy to a girl and then have the girl be super apologetic and insinuate that she owes him something. The publishing company should have been forced to create some sort of anti-stalking PSA as restitution. <laughs> At the very least. True. And... Uh, Imai and Gowie said, I think they've given enough time the good friends would send Jess back after a few weeks. 
Oh my God. Yes, absolutely true. Also, uh, Ruth K. 83 had a great comment, which is just, ah, Ned, just the Lionel Hutz of Sweet Valley. <laughs> uh, I I also liked that um, uh, Bobbins and Buttons had, had a, a false memory of this episode that I thought I remembered Jessica in some sort of cult robe but that must have been a false memory because Jessica would never be seen in anything other than a silk blouse jump scoot bikini or mini skirt <laughs> very true also flat face bitch oh, yeah. which oh my god this username kills me every time uh, wonders does Liz have some kind of side hustle where she helps people buy birthday presents for their mom every other book she's doing it or having a fight because she didn't help someone pick a present for their mom it's baffling I was thinking that so true it keeps happening Twigtastic did say I don't know how Liz feels safe in that town though there were far too many boys ready to be obsessed with her also book Liz really needs to involve her parents more often if only because Tealy B Liz wouldn't even have that option oh <laughs> so true <laughs> and uh, Michelle Westock pointed out cult victim Jessica is absolutely my favourite Jessica and I think she might be mine too you know she was very considerate she was a nice girl yeah <laughs> oh, more of that please well, listeners, thank you so much for sticking with us in this very, very weird and frequently kind of horrible year. Um, we hope you have uh, we have brought you some cheer in 2021 because you have brought us lots of cheer. Oh my God, so much. Like, thank you so much for all of your comments and feedback and everything. Like, we love hearing from you guys and we have such crack with you all, like, in the emails and on Instagram. And oh. it's, we're just so glad that you're all here with us. We really are. Um, so, uh, yeah, this is a very, very sincere thank you to all of you for, for listening to us in 2021 and to our Pi Beat Alpha sisters who've joined us uh, in this uh, strange and terrifying <laughs> year. Um, we really, really appreciate all your support. Um, and um, we uh, we hope you'll you'll stick around with us in 2022, where we will have lots more Sweet Valley TV shenanigans. We will be heading into season two, um, but we are taking a little break over Christmas. Yeah, we're going to take a bit of a break uh, for January as well. But like, we yeah. will be back in February. It's just like we love doing this, obviously, but it's also quite a lot. It so is. we're just going to take a little break to recharge and we will be back and buzzing off our heads again on the Sweet Valley nonsense uh, in the new year in February with you. Yes. Um, so uh, I beat Alpha Sisters. We will have one more episode for you before the end of the year. And we are going to have a special uh, what we've learned like we did back in the day. I think it was our first anniversary in the TV or in the books. Um, we did a special episode about what we've learned from doing <laughs> reading all the Sweet Valley books over the course of a year. And this time we're going to discuss what we've learned from watching the first season of Sweet Valley on TV. So please share uh, your own thoughts and we will read them out on the episode. Yeah, so yeah, it would be kind of a, a season one of the TV show kind of wrap up. So we can, yeah, so send us all your thoughts about it. Yeah, what you think you've learned, maybe your favourite bits. Did you have a top montage? Oh, Let us know. I know I do. <laughs> <laughs> it's the James Bond one. Uh, <laughs> So, uh, yeah, thanks, everybody. And uh, we will see you in February 2022. Early February, don't worry, it won't be too yes. long. We won't leave uh, you hanging too long. <laughs> and we will, uh, in the meantime, you know, you could sign up to Pi Beta Alpha. You can do so at headstuffpodcasts.com for as little as five euros a month. 
That's it. If you're really missing us, there's a whole load of episodes to catch up on there where we're, as you, as you know by now, going on about the, the TV show and having great fun with it. So yeah, you can you can catch up on all that good stuff in the meantime if you, if you feel like you're, uh, you've are you got a Sweet Valley-shaped hole in your life. <laughs> <laughs> Don't we all? Yeah. So, uh, Merry Christmas, everybody. And uh, thank you for, for, for everything. And we'll see you in the next year, when, in the new year, when we find out what happens <gasps> when Cara risks becoming <laughs> Stephen's bride. Oh, my God. A terrifying prospect. <laughs> see you then, everybody. Thanks for listening. Merry Christmas. Yay. <laughs> This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com. Experience the difference at Woodhouse Buick GMC. From the GMC Acadia to the Buick Encore, we're sure to have a vehicle that fits your lifestyle. Our climate-controlled showroom guarantees a comfortable shopping experience every time you visit. Plus, our commitment to our customers continues well beyond the date of purchase. You will leave our lot feeling comfortable and confident in your new vehicle. Start your car buying journey today, in-store or online at WoodhouseBuickGMC.com. We are professional grade.